Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat, episode 75. Uh, this week's show, we've got um, the multi-sport MC Joel Murray on. He's the MC at all the local running events. Uh, coincidentally, he was the MC at the Jetty to Jetty this year. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a media pass, so I grabbed some interviews with the male winners. I'll play them in a second. I missed the female uh, place getters and if you listen to the podcast there's a little bit of controversy involved around uh, second and third place I think it was so I unfortunately didn't get any interviews with the girls but listen to the sort of race recap of that and uh, you'll figure out what happened enjoy the show team with the uh, men's winner here, Nicholas Free. Congratulations, mate. Great race. Well done. Yeah, thank you. It was definitely beautiful conditions today. I couldn't, couldn't complain at all. Couldn't ask for anything more. And yeah, happy, happy with where the form's at. And it was good to get a, a nice little run in. Second last year, first this year. You must be over the moon. It does help when Liam Bowden doesn't turn up. He's a professional runner and I can't really, as a triathlete, I can't compete with the professional runners. It's not, it's not my wheelhouse. And so... But yeah, definitely happy to be out there and happy to take the win. Yeah, when we we, we, we were watching on the uh, iPad, the splits coming through, and uh, Joel said, "Oh mate, he's probably done a 200k ride yesterday." <laughs> or swam. You don't know what he's been up to. Do you have a big week of training this week? This week's been my first week back off, first proper week back off a break, and so yesterday was still pretty solid. Rode for three and a bit hours, and then had a little jog in the afternoon to prep the legs for today. But it's not about how fast I run, really. It's just to get in a really good training hit out on some tired legs to prepare me for racing. Wow. Um, so what's next? Uh, maybe the sunny coast half marathon in a couple of weeks. I think that's in about three or four weeks and then I'll kind of just prep for the tri-season. Sunny coast 70.3 is 10th of September and so that will be my first triathlon of the season. Unreal. Awesome. Well, mate, congratulations. We'll see you up the Sunshine Coast, hopefully. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Okay, we're with the uh, men's second place, Wayne Spies, an incredible athlete. How old are you, Wayne? Uh, 50. Just turned 50. Just turned 50. Yeah. Oh, my God. What time did you run then? 69? Uh, no, no, 70? 70, 70, just over 71 or something like that. Yeah. Man, phenomenal run. Um, what, have you been training hard lately? Or I know yeah. you just did um, the Comrades. Yeah, that's why my legs are very tight. So I've just finished Comrades yeah. in South Africa. How many weeks ago was that? Uh, it's exactly a month ago now. Oh. So yeah, my legs are still heavy. Semi recovering, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy, crazy run there. <laughs> for, for the listeners at home, most of them are average runners or park runners and stuff like that. How do you do it at your age? Like, how do you just keep nailing it? Well, for one thing, uh, you, you need to obviously tell yourself that you can do it. But obviously, you've got to put in a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment, yeah. a lot of dedication. Uh, besides running, I spend a lot of time in the gym just strengthening. Okay. So strength work, hard work, combined with the aptitude that, that, that you can succeed, um, is the formula for success. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you obviously look after your diet, you live clean, live Absolutely. healthy. Yeah. Absolutely. So cut out a lot of sugars. Um, try and eat as clean as I can, but I also eat a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, mate, congratulations. Another Thank great so performance. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to get you on the show for a chat because you're a super anytime. inspirational guy. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks, mate. Thank, Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Cheers. Okay. <laughs> Might need subtitles for this one. Third place, men. He's my coach. Great run, Paul. Paul Gawley. 
Yeah, cheers, mate. Um, it was a fun morning out there. Um, I actually just went in quite relaxed and just raced it, to be honest. I didn't actually look at my watch until about 500 metres to go. Um, but by that time, I was sitting in third, and it was just try and hold on, and yeah, I was happy to come away with third. What, so, because um, I was watching on the uh, iPad with Joel, the MC, and you were in fourth position. So, at what time did you get into third? So I was actually um, early on. I think it was about seven of us like started off in the lead pack, but that split probably probably about three k's. The guy who won, Nick, he just flew it away, um, and then I found myself sort of settling into fifth. And then on the turnaround, Jonathan Peters, he dropped out with maybe about seven or eight k's to go. No, yeah, maybe about eight or nine k's to go actually. Oh really? Um, and then I could see David just in front. He was maybe maybe 100 metres or so in front. And yeah, when I was about six or seven k's to go, I realised that third was a possibility. So yeah, dug in, got it done. Dug in, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, but I, I was I was catching. David and just at the same time just trying to still feel relaxed and know that there's still a long way to go um, and then once I, once I really got on David's heels with about 5k to go he kicked on a bit so definitely made me work um, so but yeah, got, battle. yeah it was a battle yeah and, and I was looking at David and I thought he, he looked like he probably had a bit of a kick in him so I thought I'm going to have to make a, make a move and I did that just coming off the hill coming off the hill at um, Woody Point I just thought 2k to go I'm just going to Got to try and break in front here and just treat it like a, a final rep in an interval set and just go and yeah. Great your, your teeth. That was it, mate. That was oh, it, yeah. And stoked for you. Super stoked. On yeah, the podium, prize money. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations, yeah. man. You, awesome. you pretty shoes for Sunny Coast now, so. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Oh, congratulations again. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, cheers, mate. Cheers. Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat, episode 75 the running podcast for the average runner. Got a very special guest in the house tonight. You definitely would have heard his voice if you've been to any local running events. He's known on Instagram as the multi-sport MC. Welcome to the show, Joel Murray. Yeah, big thank you, Steve, for having us along. Uh, looking forward to this chat. Um, yeah, I've been around for a little bit, around lots of events. I think we're getting up to almost 250 events that I've worked across for the last 11 or so years. So, Lots of stories, and I'll probably one hour won't be enough. Oh, mate, we've got all night. We can just <laughs> keep going and going. You're like an athlete yourself, and I guess that sort of all ties into how you got into the uh, MCing part. But let's talk about your sort of like early athletics career, covering your running, your triathlons, and stuff like that. Yep. So early years, uh, I think I was ten years of age, and I thought I was going to be a professional rugby league player, being a a boy growing up in Brisbane. So Brisbane Broncos with the team came in in 88. I was born in 82. So around six years of age, watching the Broncos go out there with Wally Lewis and Terry Madison and Elfie Langer. Uh, I was like, oh, I want legs like those guys. And when I got to the age of around 12, 13, I was like, a great defensive player, but I never scored a try to save myself. And my parents saw that I was built like a greyhound and probably started frowning across that. I had the headgear. I had the biggest shoulder pads you could find. And I was pretty much not going to be a full-time professional rugby league player. So I, at that age of 13, um, rugby league, as you know, is a lot of hitting the deck, a lot of getting knocked around. And when you're doing lots of tackles, you're on, on the deck a lot. And I had a, a disease or a growth issue, which is called Oscar Slatter's disease. So under the patella 
uh, tendon used to swell up so much that it looked like you had two kneecaps. So when you uh, sort of flared it up, which would happen when you're playing basketball or handball at lunchtime on the hard services and, and running around with your mates trying to play tiggy at, at school, you'd have to have a day off running because it would swell up so much. I couldn't get down on the ground. I couldn't do squats. I couldn't cross my legs anymore in class. It was pretty, pretty painful. So that meant that you could run, you'd have a day off and then you could run again. So that was pretty much my teenage years. So rugby league had to go away because I what it got to the point where I'd play one week and have to have a week off. Um, and I ended up getting a little bit bullied because I did run with straight legs. I look like Forrest Gump with the, with the braces on, not that I had the braces, but the guys used to give it to me and I thought, Oh, I want to be fit. I think if I can be a half decent runner at school and sort of shine on sports day, I'll stop being bullied. And I think that year, it was year eight by that stage. I, I ended up, I came from nowhere. I ran from about six position and won the, the school athletics, 800 meters. And then I went to on to be undefeated through high school and sort of could get to districts. And then you'd race the nudgy boys because I'm Brisbane based and that pants me every time. I, Super strong school. Nudgy. Hey? Yeah. They're, they're phenomenal. And it's great to see them coming, coming back with some great coaching as well in the distance running. But, uh, so that, that was me as a teenager. It was like running was the way that I could get past the bullies and I sort of had friends. Um, so it was a thing that I did by myself. I used to run around Marchins Park, which you'd near Chermside Shopping Centre here on the north side of Brisbane. And you'd you'd start off with running a kilometre. And then the next thing I know, I'd be running a couple more kilometres. And I found out that I, I loved it. It was something I could do. But again, it was every second day. I could never string together back-to-back run days just because of that pain. So from 13 to 18, those developmental years was every second day run. Yeah, that's it's Osgood's Osgood Slater's disease. It's quite common. Yes. And I can't pronounce it. I have heard a few people that I know, I'm sure I've had that. Like it must be quite a common thing for teenagers. Yeah. And the, like I worked at Amart all sports after school and there was a, a gentleman there who was a state champion at 800 meters and 1500 meters. His name was Izzy. He was our, our shoe specialist that would go around doing order orders for, for Amart back in the day. And, he didn't stop running during those formative years and he had it quite bad. And even as a, he would have been in his mid twenties, he had massive lumps and still had a lot of pain from that. And a lot of guys, if you didn't stop and you didn't let that body heal and get rid of that swelling, they've got lifelong issues from that where I move past it. My, my issues are, I still struggle to run back to back days just because those formative years, I didn't, didn't get to do it. We were chatting off air that you, found triathlons because it was a way that you could run, maybe cycle the next day, swim, run. It wasn't so um, intense on the, on the legs. Yeah. So um, triathlon back then, uh, I think you would have been in Australia through the nineties in the, in the nineties, you would have tuned into channel 10 on the weekends. They had Trevor Hendy going around, Guy Leach going around all the, the surf life saving was massive on TV. And they also brought in the, the triathlon stuff as well with Brad Bevan was back in the Two day. Two something series. Yeah. The St. George something, series. Yeah. And it, it went off. It was, it was massive. And uh, it was, it was something cool. And I was like, oh, that's something I could have a crack at that whole triathlon thing. The problem was I couldn't swim. Uh, I swam like a runner. I was a dead, dead log. And my sister had started going to swimming. So I was about 15, 16. And then I started going to a small swim uh, squad at Zormia. And, uh, 
Yeah, I wasn't very good at it. I liked the old pool boy, which is the floaty between the legs because I couldn't kick, couldn't keep my body above the water, but it was a means to a way to hopefully um, do this crazy sport of triathlon back then where it was budgie smugglers and the small singlet. Oh, it was massive, so popular back then, wasn't it? In the 90s, I used to, we even used to go and watch the events when they were local. Um, sure, we went to one down at uh, Sanctuary Cove or somewhere. Yep. Huge crowds is awesome. It's crazy they don't do things like that still to this day. Um, I, I think the push with triathlon has been they've moved away from that one hour of power. Like I love the short course stuff and they, those formats, the enduro formats, they would call them where it's swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. They do it through three times, eliminations. The Super League triathlon has brought that back to life a little bit. However, everyone sort of wants to be an Ironman. So that's 3.8K swim, 180 kilometers on the bike and a 42.2K run. And, and people see that as triathlon now. And that's that's a long day. That's eight hours minimum spectating plus some. So I think if they went back to that TV format stuff of a half hour to an hour racing, then you'd get some eyes on it, get eyeballs on it, then people want to do it. But now it's all about, you have to be subscri- subscribed to the app um, which you're only going to subscribe to a new sport if you're involved in the sport or have interest in it. So yeah. pulling people's eyeballs off the footy codes and off other things, it's hard to do with the current format. It's all about dollars. Yeah, footy just seems to consume all of the budget for everything, eh? Uh, yeah, it it does. And like triathlon back in the day, it was a the old Repco racer. It was $100 from the trading post. You'd have a pair of shoes for $50. Um yeah, your togs were twenty dollars from from Kmart, and you sort of could kit out and sort of three hundred dollars. You had a full kit. Now three hundred dollars barely gets you that lycra suit to race in. Three hundred dollars is the pair of shoes. It's a hundred dollars for your goggles. Now it's a thousand dollars for your smartwatch that you want to race with, and then it's uh, it's about six to ten thousand dollars just to get a time trial bike to do the sport of triathlon. So straight away you're up for a fifteen to twenty thousand dollar. Yeah. Yeah, been where it used to be a three hundred dollars sport. So you look at a footy season, three hundred dollars for the season. Now triathlon, like it's fifteen thousand dollars. Then that's why everyone's going to the long course. If I'm going to pay that much, I may as well yeah. do a bucket list. Um, but you can't keep doing Ironman year after year. The the breakdown on the body, social circles, marriages is just not good. Yeah, and not only that, they're like a thousand dollars to enter. Yes. Like it's just, it seems crazy, but it's so popular. Yeah, it's, uh, the numbers are probably waning a little bit. Oh, okay, so yeah. uh, when I did my first Ironman in 20, it was 2011. So I've done three. And, and, and back then you had to qualify for Ironman through a half Ironman. So you'd go to Yapoon or you'd go to the Gold Coast or you'd go somewhere and you'd do the 1.9K swim the 90K bike ride and the 21K. So then you actually qualified for an Ironman. Now they've taken the qualification out. It's about who's got the most money, who can do the Ironman. So all you need to do is go, yep, I got a thousand dollars. I'll come and do it. I can afford the accommodation. And it's just that big wheel has happened instead of that. All right, I've got my my kit. It's only cost me $5,000 all up and I've got everything. Now I can do it. So it's, it's totally different. It's changed the face of the sport. Um, and then the squads now are all profit. 90% of the squads out there are profitable. Whereas back in my day and probably your day, sport was about not-for-profit clubs. 
everyone in the club was like a little tribe where everyone would help coach someone. So if there was a junior coming through or a brand new person, you'd have five or six mentors in the group. Now it's one coach gets paid. So you no longer want to step on the toes of the coach and mentor people. So no one's getting mentored. It's not really the tribe and that sharing of uh, understanding like we used to have. So it's very, very different. Wow. And it's also coming across to the running world as well. You see yeah, a lot true. more profitable clubs. Definitely. And like, I mean, running at the moment seems to be just booming in, in well, I mean, Australia wide maybe, but definitely in Queensland, just every event sold out. Like Jetty Jetty just recently was sold out. Um, Sunshine Coast Marathon sold out. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? Yeah, and we sold out in the both the half marathon, had the biggest numbers ever at the Gold Coast Marathon, and also the marathon sold out uh, weeks in advance. So um, I, th- I think the biggest thing about it is we've got a massive ecosystem of the running and the, of the clubs in, in the running world, and we probably haven't had it in the past. So there's there's all these great running groups, which I've never seen before, that are encompassing the 20-year-old through to the 30-year-old, which we've never had. It's, it's a bit different where they're the crossfitters or they're sort of in that holistic fitness, that F45, and they're looking after a little bit of social time as well. And they're all going outside instead of doing all the work in the gym. They're also getting outside and having some cardio time. And there's this massive social network. They're all wearing all the, the latest designer gear and being sponsored by the brands out there. Um, yeah. All the active brands are loving it, but we're seeing people benefit and it's a uh, time yeah, it's more time conscious. Like you can go for a half hour run, get some benefits. Whereas if you're cycling, you've got to go for a minimum of an hour and a half, really. So it, it's more sustainable for partnerships, having friends, having a coffee and getting to work on time. Mate, we, we, we always do the long run on a Sunday morning and we get it over and done with like pretty early, like 5am start usually. So you're home after a couple of hours, but we talk about that with the cycling, like they've gone for six hours. hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, some of those Ironman rides, like it's eight hours. Like I remember riding up to the sunny coast and, and home. And then you do a run off the bike when you're coming into the Ironman. So I remember doing a ride, started at like 5.30 at North Lakes, got up the coast at Majimba and then got back. I think I was home at three o'clock, but then I had to do a half hour run off the bike. So you're home at three 30 in the afternoon. I had three young kids at home. Um, I had a mar- I was married. That pretty much didn't happen after that. <laughs> so got divorced not long after that. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it affects the family when you're away for that whole day on the weekend. Plus you've already ridden for three or four hours on the Saturday as well. It's, it's not very harmonious to, the rest yeah. of your life. It's not holistic in any way. And then when you get back, you're not really yourself because you sleepy. Really do is want to lay down and rest. And, <laughs> and I want you to mow the lawn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's dad. You got to take over. Uh, yeah. It's not, not great at all. So the Ironman is kind of where you started with your MCing career. Is that correct? Yeah. That's, that's spot on, mate. Um, so I was a primary school teacher. So I went from Brisbane up to my regional service. So I was up in Cairns at the time teaching at a great school on the South side, Warri State School. So I had about a thousand students there. And one of the things I went to a, like a meeting with the other PE teachers and I was told by the PE teacher there that children in far North Queensland can't compete against the kids in Southeast Queensland. And, and what I saw was an abundance of talent 
from the kids up there. They were playing in the streets. They were riding their bikes to their mates' houses. And where I'd come from, which was Eaton's Hill down here, we were every every month we seemed to be having lockdown because a white van was going around. There was massive stranger danger. Kids didn't play outside in the streets. I saw kids playing inside or they're in after school care. So I went about creating a, a squad and a pathway to show that it's possible that kids up there could compete against kids down here. And through doing that, I had um, people, well, Iron Man was coming to, to Cairns for the first time. It was called Challenge back then. And they came and saw my squad and they came and saw me do a presentation at school. And I was very passionate about this, this pathway and had some students who ended up going from uh, not really doing triathlon until fourth in, in, at the national championships. So I, I debugged wow. it within six months and grew the squad from three little kids that I took down to, to Redcliffe. It was then where the state championships were. Uh, and we, we had it out to 20 and it's great to see that peninsula squad now is pretty much full to the brim, but we were able to show them that the kids were able to do it. So I got a bit of a name for myself as a bit of a can do person also was undefeated on the local triathlon scene up there as well. So won the North Queensland triathlon championships and was, was winning races all over the place. And that was from trying to coach the kids and I was being the rabbit to show them how fast they had to be to beat students down in Southeast Queensland. So I had to get really, really fast. And the training that you do with a junior is very different to what you do as an age group, um, male or an older athlete. So I was doing a lot of interval stuff, a lot of short recovery. It was just all high intensity stuff. So I don't have to train nine, 10 times a week. And yeah, it was, it was going really well, but I was training for an Ironman because that's the pinnacle of the sport. I'd have done one, did terribly. I ended up limping the whole way with cramping. And so I wanted to do the second one, but eight weeks out from the race, I went and had an accident on the bike, 50 kilometers per hour, snapped my collarbone and it was out of action. There was no way it was going to to come right. So just luckily Ironman were after a commentator to stand on in the middle of the road out the front of the pub, the central hotel in Port Douglas and do a six hour gig up there with the bike turnaround. And yeah, they chose me to to be up there. So that's where it started. Had no idea what I was doing. Didn't even know how to hold a microphone. Just knew that I loved the sport of triathlon. Had a few stories up my sleeves and try and connect that to the locals. So it became a six-hour pretty much um, stand-up comedy act up there. And that's where it started for me right back then. Speaking of comedians, Nathan Barden just joined the chat. Hey, mate. Hey, mate. Yeah, mate, it's like you're a natural at it, but uh, I don't know about that. These, these, <laughs> these, these, these things take practice, don't they? But um, I, I think it's just uh, what other things that you have to say or talk about when you're not maybe talking about the actual race, you yep. know? So it's just those other little bits add in. So you, I suppose that quiet times are right, you know, those silent periods are fine, but it's when you're thinking, oh, how do I transition? Or how do I get to, you know, like add that little bit into elongate what you're talking about? Um, yep. Yeah, so now you, it's it's great uh, listening to you. And I think um, the first time I actually met you in person was last year at the Anzac relays at uh, oh, the yep, yep. Tac. And actually, I spoke to you because uh, we thought we should. I think we were meant to get like third place or first place, like open or something. And there was something there. I don't know what it was. Or, uh, sort of like recreational team but it, it never happened but I was chatting to you then and it's just um 
it's just I thought, oh, you know, when you know that voice and then you yeah. finally see you in person, it's like, oh, you can put a name to the voice, so, so to speak. But um That's yeah. what I said when uh, you first got here. I said, you know, anyone who's run a local event would know the voice. As soon as you yeah. hear it, it's just I mean, how many events have you emceed? You were just saying 200? Yeah, it's getting up to, uh, yeah, close to 250 events. So it's been a few and it's been right around Australia as well. It's uh, not just just here. So I guess for for a lot of people, it's the, if they were a baton bearer, for, we had 3,800 baton bearers right around Australia. And I was the voice of the guy going backwards in a van around the country. Um I even, I have, if you ever see me smile in person or on my Instagram, you'll see that I've got one tooth that looks a little bit funky and that's because I chipped it on the microphone and I, I wear it as a badge of honor since 2018 still. So yeah, ate the mic. So by the end of my, my 69 days of talking to about these amazing stories where I was crying every day because the stories were so inspiring. I, uh, the microphone was rusted up and it had dints in it from smacking myself in the chops <laughs> that many times. Every time the old driver would slam the brakes on or go over a speed bump around the country. So, so was that, that was an the, ordeal for the, um, the Olympic flame. No, so we had to do start a date. So it's interesting you say the Olympic flame, but it was the Commonwealth games relay button. So it actually has the message from the queen. Then that's carried around the whole country. But every time we did, a start a day school. So we went to about 60 schools around the country and I'd have to do their assembly and do an interaction with them. And the, the button would come in and they go, where's the flame? And I go, it's not the Olympics. It's got the message from the queen in there and it's made from recycled plastic and wood. <laughs> so, but every school would have the, they, we go, Oh, have you done much work with the kids on this? And they go, Oh yeah, we've done heaps. And all that, they'd have posters up everywhere with flames coming out of the queen's baton. And it's like, no, 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 there's no flame. It's not from Greece. The Commonwealth games. It's the, the Commonwealth games. games. It's, it's the little sister. <laughs> so jumping back to um, your first gig, you did the six hour, pretty much you said it was a comedy show. It was a comedy show. It was in front of the pub. So everyone's sinking beers and, and then carrying yeah. on. And then you just snowballed from there. Just Yeah, so it was one of those experiences. The next year, they, they stuck me up there again. Uh, the only people who got to hear me from Iron Man were actually the staff who set up the the like the, the signage and stuff. And even that got to a stage where, so I started with a big screen TV. Uh, we had the AV boys up there and it was a big, big show. I think by year three or four, the TV string, screen got a little bit smaller less staff and me putting the signage up on the corners and the, the budget starts to get a little bit, bit tighter. And the crowds were always great though. And the stories were great. And anytime I got to see um, the pro athletes or an age group of talk about their race, they spoke about the turnaround in Port Douglas and no one knew who I was. Um, but I think the third year I was asked to do some transition tours which transition tour in triathlon world is this is how you run your bike in. This is where you run your bike out. Like it's pretty simple. It's a five minute. All right, this is what you do. And I pretty much took that opportunity to do like a half hour stand up. So a lot of people, um, even my partner now saw me for the first time or met me for the first time doing one of those transition tours where I spoke about how in my Ironman journeys and my last one, my third one, I, I lost my vision and finished the Ironman blind and had a local athlete sort of guide me through the marathon. Um, I, I vomited everywhere and had my mum patting me on the back and sort of got to my feet and 
you're running as hard as you can after you've vomited your guts up and there's a, a, a guy running away from you and you look down at his feet and he's got croc sandals on and you go, oh, this is going to be a long, long marathon. And the guy end up, you meet him later and he's 70 years of age and runs in crocs <laughs> and you can't keep up. So wow. yeah, you talk about all of those stories and I can tell you now, nobody ever makes the same mistakes as I do to lose their vision in a race, which was from using baby shampoo and your goggles and it froths up when you, your goggles leak. And um, the vomiting was just getting too excited in the race and going too hard. Your heart rate's too high. The the blood flow's not in your tummy. You can't digest and your body goes, hey, stop putting stuff in and rips it all out. So I uh, lost eight kilos that day. And it's safer for Ironman to put me on the microphone than it is to have me out there on course because I'm not real real good at the racing of the long stuff. But I think I, I did the third, I did a transition tour. Phil Hungerford, who was my first ever running coach, um, absolute legend and runs the Bribey Triathlon Series said, Joel, come, I'll get you on the Gold Coast Marathon. And and that's where it's um, pretty much snowballed from me getting onto the start line at the Gold Coast and getting onto the finish line there. And that was 2016 and it's grown each year from there. And I, I think I've had a peak just before COVID of over 40 events and Last year was 30 events post COVID and even through the COVID period was working 20 to 25 events for the year. So um hasn't slowed down too much, but it's, it's definitely been an enjoyable ride. Joel, that um, obviously you, you train and you compete as well. I try to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> obviously doing the MCing eats into a bit of uh, a race time. Oh, definitely. So, um, obviously, is it something that you go, well, I'm going to set myself this event, this event, I'm definitely doing it. And I won't be able to do the MC on those. Or do you just play it by ear? And if there's something that comes up, you go, oh, I'm not MC in that weekend. I'll uh, jump in on that event. Yeah. For, for probably the latter. So um, I pretty much trained for, for sanity. I, I, I love training. So that's uh, my partner and I, she, she gets the race in all the events that I work at. So I think she's up to a third marathon this weekend coming up at Yapoon. Um, She'll be doing that. And so she gets a race. So I get to train with her while she gets ready for it. But I've missed out on the long runs or if I'm in the triathlon stuff, the long rides. So those weekend sessions are pretty much taxed because like this weekend coming, I'm on a river rooftop, which is a stair climb Friday morning. And then we'll jump in the car and we'll drive up to Yapoon. So Saturday I'll be up there. We'll get a little bit of a jog in, but then Sunday we're, we're on the microphone for six to eight hours for the marathon up there in central Queensland. And then we'll be yeah. back in the car to make our way down. And that's when you've got 30 events, you think about, Hey, how many weekends have we got? I'm, I'm on the road, a lot of weekends. And I, I love the regional races. I love supporting them and giving them feedback and lifting the quality of their events and their personnel. And so uh, we do go out to Gunda Windy, St. George. I've been out of Beale Wheeler the cu- last couple of years as well. So, yeah. um, it's not just along the coastline. It, it's also, I go out there and do these little not-for-profit races with the clubs, which are, that's probably where I get a lot of enjoyment. Yeah. I, um, with my previous jobs, I've done Villa Willa and Rocky and Yapoon. Yep. So I know Yapoon's, uh, Yapoon well. It's a um, good little oh, beautiful place. In the morning. Do a bit of surfing out there, do they? Well, they try, mate. You'd see they're looking out at it and you go, oh, blimey, if you were desperate, you you would. And then you'd have to worry about, I don't know if you have to worry about um, jellyfish in your poon. I don't know if it's far enough north, but um, I see they just pulled a uh, 
a crock out of the Fitzroy River, didn't they, Rocky? So um, I often used to drive over it every day because there's two bridges, the old bridge and the new bridge, they call it, didn't they? And uh, you look down, you go, you see these people like standing on the rocks and you go, oh, they get crocks in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not very often, but every now and then there's a croc. Yeah, no, the crocodiles and uh, they've got the the wave park. They do have a surfing park up there at Yapoon uh, or Rocky oh, okay. now. So I know Harry Grant. Yeah, old Melbourne Storm players from Yapoon loves his surfing. So, um, yeah, but in Cairns, like the reason I swam quick up there, not because I enjoyed it, because there was crocodiles, sharks, stingers, and you're just waiting for yeah. something to bite you. You couldn't see anything. So it would be head down, bum up, let's get on the bike. That Cairns um, Ironman, how do they do the swim then if, you, if, you, if like the crocs are such a problem? Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this publicly, but I know when we did Yorkie's Knob, I actually raced in it and – after that event, because I was like living up there, you sort of know everyone. I was friends with a couple of the national parks guys. So they had the rangers in a boat tracking crocodiles with shotguns. Uh, and if any of them moved, any trackers moved, we were out of the water. So um, there was a lot of splashing going on, 1,500 swimmers. So no one came near a croc. I haven't heard of a croc come after uh, any of the swimmers. However, where we would race all the time, it was a place called Lake Placid. So that's where I did my first triathlon up there. And the locals were telling me, yeah, there's a crocodile in here. It's okay. It's only a fresh water. So you'll be right. And then you go up there now and they've got the croc traps because they've had the floods uh, with the cyclones mm. and, and the crocodiles can walk across the rocks and they've gone in there. So there's a few saltwater crocodiles in there as well. But wherever we swam and raced up there for club races, mm. there'd be 80 of us in the water uh, and it was croc territory. So we'd swim just around the corner in mm. Yorkie's Knob. Um, even in Cairns itself, like they come past where the wharf is and yeah, you can see that. the crocs from the top of the sea ball. So they're around. Uh, the tiger sharks are around. There's uh, lots of munchies. So you're you're pretty brave. though. They're, they're hard athletes up there. They're phenomenal people. Nothing's too tough. For, for the guys that train up there because then you've got the sea snakes and everything else that can get you and it's all there um yeah we're pretty soft down here in the south i like swimming in a pool now is that where you're from Cairns? no so i'm actually from brisbane so north side of brizzy um yeah. grew up around aspley zormia um so i learned to run because they used to chase you a lot through there and <laughs> for Zoomia, the locals yeah. yeah it's uh it's one of those train stations you don't want to be at at night time ladies and gentlemen and uh if someone does approach you, you take off like the clappers. And I worked at the super farm, which was there, which is now an IGA. And the yeah. owner decided, oh, you look like you've got some muscles, Joel. You're about 16. Can you be security? And I had so many shifts where I sold uh, people sharps kits, which is a, a syringe kit. And that would be chasing me after my shift. So, um, yeah, it was, it taught me to run. I got chased by a guy with a knife in Zilmere when I was about 18, 19, pulled up in a car, asked me for directions. When yep. I went over to the window, he had a knife in his hand. Yeah. And then bolted. And Kansas are uh, the same. Kansas was, uh, I lived on the South side. So the amount of stabbings I saw, um, you'd hear the gunshots go off. It was a, a different place. Uh, it's a beautiful place, but um, for the locals up there, it definitely is tough. It's a lot of crime, 90% low socioeconomic at the school I was teaching at. Um, and you've got on elevation. So in one suburb, you'll have low socioeconomic down the bottom of the hill, which is where I happened to buy sight unseen, smart me. 
And then you go up the hill and you got your millionaires with the Ferrari all in the same suburb, same postcode. So it was an amazing place to live, but I got tattoos. Um, I've got some, some big ones on my arm. And that was because I got threatened that many times when I would be out running by myself, little skinny guy, with no, no shirt because it was so hot. Um, and then I got the tattoos and people stopped threatening me. So it was, yeah, got a bit of cl- camouflage. Tough, but Tough stickers. It's so humid, isn't it? Most of the year. Yes. Like aircon on just so your clothes can dry. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't own aircon. Um, oh. The When I moved up there, I was trying to train at the same intensity that I was from down here. And I was training for my first Ironman. So I'd done half my build up down here and I was going really well, super fit. And then I moved up there and I really struggled. So you do try and do your long run. And I'd be like calling my dad up, who was an ex-paramedic going, dad, heart rates. Just- no, I've just done a wee in the shower and it's red. Oh shit. And he's yeah. like, oh, and I'm going, should I see the doctor? And he's got, mate, you're, you're very dehydrated. You need to drink a lot of fluids and, and yeah, you have to, you're doing sports drinks all the time. Your teeth are terrible up there. They're just about disintegrating after a couple of years because straight away in the morning, humidity is like 80% but it's already 26 degrees and the sun's not even up yet. Um, so you train at three o'clock in the morning um, and then you, you just can't get the fluids back in. And I was a PE teacher as well. So I was outside and by 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd have to take the undies off and change them because I was so chafed because I was just soaking and that was standing in the shade. So the amount of moisture that came out of the ground um, when the kids were smart at lunchtimes, they didn't run around. If it was a hot day, they would chill out under in the shade and if they were out running, it was in the afternoons when it cooled down. So, yeah, that everyone adapted. It was good. Just going back to the um, triathlons, and we were talking a, a bit earlier about the, I think it was the Tui's New League or... Yeah, St. George. St. George. Wasn't Brad Bevan or one of those guys called the Croc? Yes, he's the Croc. So he's from just south of Cairns uh, around... Brand, oh, I can't remember. There's Bramston Beach, and he was sort of from there, and it is Croc country. So where he was swimming in the creeks and actually, it was just crocs. Yeah, yeah. Um, this guy, Nate, used to just swim with the crocodiles for his training. Like That's why he's nicknamed the croc. Yeah, no, that's nuts. Yeah. yeah, a legend. Yeah, absolute legend. And anyone up there that's sort of been up there since the 80s and 90s, yeah, you know Brad Bevan. Like, he's he's still a legend. Um, And he's living down here in Brisbane now, coaching oh, one really? of the squads as well. So doing a great job and... Yeah, they're definitely one of the nicest guys you'll meet. So, mate, talking about your emceeing career, like what's some real highlights that you can tell us about? Uh, highlights are uh, it's hard. Um, I guess I pinch myself all the time. Like even Gold Coast Marathon just gone. Um, you're standing there and you're talking to Steve Monaghetti and he knows your name. Uh, for me, growing up as as a young guy, I remember being at Nudgee College and the Australian team was doing their warm-ups in the year 2000. And I saw Monas run, a, run across the oval and I was like, oh, he, he was just my idol. Just a legend. And 60 years of age, uh, we interviewed him after, I think it was the half. He did a 113. At 60 years of age, he's like, yeah, I might have broken a couple of records, but it was just great to be out there. The crowds are unreal. It's the best finish shoot you can get as you come through onto that blue carpet and just an absolute legend. And then um, there, was, there was a moment there and my partner Claire was with me and Steve, uh, not Steve, but um, Rob DeCostella, um, who I've met a few times at Run Army in Brisbane. He's a matron there and I've met him at the Gold Coast since 2016. And he he gave me a hug and it was like, wow, 
Rob, Rob gave me a hug. <laughs> Did you see that? So it was just one of those special moments where you go, oh, you accepted. Incredible. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. But, like his um speech before the marathon, just like I've heard some people don't like it, but like it just gave me goosebumps. So eh? before the race. Yeah. So I get to stand next to him, be the guy that hands him the microphone. And um, it's, it's very loud in the tower. It does make the hair stand up on yeah. your neck and it's, it's really hard because I, I want to enjoy it, but at the same time, I'm wording up the actual starter, which is always a, a major sponsor or, or this year it was Tom Tate, for instance, because that start is live around the world. hundred million odd people could be tuning in around all the countries. And there's been years where people decide to, Hey, oh, this is a great photo opportunity. And the start doesn't go for 15 seconds and it's all live stream. So you, you do see this awkward thing happen on the screen. So that's, that's my role is to get it off on time and it flowing. Yeah, yeah. It has to, has to go. So um, if people rock up late to do things, it's, I've got to tip it all in um, or, or it's awkward for everyone. And, it's, and I don't want it to be awkward for the people down on the start line. It's got to be fluid. It's got to make you guys feel calm. Um, and like, as Nathan was saying, like if you, I'm, I'm wired up. So I've got the course Marshall's talking to me. So, okay, we've got to clear on the start, clear to start. And they're forever talking to me um, through an earpiece. And so you've got that information coming. You've got Rob doing his speech, yelling. So that's information. You've got the AV guys you've got to communicate with. You're communicating with Tom Tate. You're getting everyone calm. Then you're doing your messaging across the mic. Um, there's, there's massive um, pressure when you get that, but it's such a thrill when you get it a clean start and everyone's off and it's just like, wow, um, for the next 10 minutes, you've got people passing over that start line. It's pretty incredible. Do you practice like say for um, the elite women, there was a few Kenyans. Well, there's actually a few Kenyans in the males as well, wasn't there? But like sometimes we read the results out on here and you can trip over and stumble trying to pronounce these Kenyan names. Like how do you pronounce the names? You uh, practice it or. Well, for the Gold Coast Marathon, it's really cool because they have a, um, they have the press day. So generally the top five people get invited along and, and sort of share that, share their stories. And that happens on the Friday morning. So I always try to get to that because you don't want to get them wrong. Com games was really hard because you've got a lot of the African so countries yeah. and yeah, we would practice as much as we can. If we could, we'd get the names given to us phonetically. But when you have like a, a jetty to jetty or a normal local event, there's no phonetics. You don't know. You're reading an iPad where the names are flying yeah. um, down the screen. Like it's not static and it's just pick and stick and you hope you get it right. But there, there's been times where I've been like the com games, you, you're going backwards. Everyone can sort of see you uh, and they're like, no, her name's Alicia. And then you've called her something else, Alyssa. And then a third person will pipe up and go, no, it's this. And you go, well, which one is it? Like you, you don't know. So sometimes you just got to say it confidently and just really strongly. And everyone goes, oh, you've done really well with the names today. And I say, oh, probably only got 50% right, but thank you. Um, no one knows unless it's sort of that person. So, um, but I used to get stuck in the early days where I'd go, oh, well done, Robbie boy. Or well done, Robbie. I am a Robert. So yeah, some people try it. Do they? Yeah. yeah you, you can't give nicknames or anything. You just say the name that's on the, on, on the screen. Yeah. Um, you gave, 
you actually gave me a shout. You gave me like a couple of shouts when I come across the line, the Gold Coast Marathon. But it must have been just luck that I had a bit of a gap around me because I was running with this Japanese guy and he was geeing up the crowd. So I was geeing up the crowds, getting them all cheering as well. And um, I missed my partner videoing me on the side. She was, she was shouting, you watch her video. She was shouting my name at me. I just couldn't hear it because it was quite loud down there. Yeah. And then I actually heard you shouting me. So I left my phone on recording, but then I, I uh, my brother was watching it live on TV from home on YouTube. And then you call, you said, oh, here comes Nathan Barden crossing the line. Type, he's a type one diabetic crossing the line. So I was like, um, I was like really chuffed. <laughs> I got like a double shout out. <laughs> I came over the line. So, um, yeah, like, and it's, uh, that's probably the hardest finish line. It's for, for me, every event is pretty much leading up to that, that, that Gold Coast finish line is something really special to me. Um, mm. But it's, a, it's a tough one. Like it, you guys are coming across so quickly. So yeah, 2016, hard, they'd give us a, we had a, a 42 inch screen and all the names were on that. And it was like looking at the pokies as the, the cherries. How does that around. come up now then? Does it something read the number? It just tells you the name. So Is you have a spotter mat. So this happens at just about all events. So if you have a timing chip, there'll be a mat about 80 meters out from the finish line or 50 meters out from the finish line. And then that'll spit the data to me to say who it is, if it's your birthday, if there's any other information, uh, if the timing guys are doing a great job, they give you heaps of data. Um, and the more data, the better, like my day job is reading, reading data during the week. So, um, being a teacher, it's about the data and telling a story from the data. So that is probably the th part that I find the most joy from is like, Oh, such and such. And they're from such and such in Queensland. And they're in this age group and they're, got this split like this is unreal like i get off on that um yeah. but we only had a little ipad and because of all the wi-fi interference from everyone in the grandstand that wasn't working very well so it was really just lucky that i eyeballed you from the top of the grandstand but the other issue we were having was the grandstand. did you know was... it was me that did you recognize it was me yes, yes. Somebody... yeah 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 okay. so um the the grandstand was so full that I exited the grandstand to do an interview and I physically couldn't get back in the grandstand. So the other reason I was able to know a lot of people was because you all had your name on your name bib. So always enter early, get your name on there because yeah. when all else yeah. fails, that's all I've got to go by. And that's all Tolly had to go by as well. So um, I, I, I like that more because I can physically see you. I can physically get off on saying your name off your name bib and then, Everyone gives you a reaction, no matter how yeah. fatigued they are. They give you a reaction when they hear their name, and whether it be fatigue or a grimace or whatever, like that's that's the addiction that I have. I love that. Yeah, and then I don't know if it would have come up that I'm a type one diabetic, but I had it on my singlet anyway. Type. Oh, one. I just knew. Okay. Yeah. Just followed. Yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. So um, no, that was really good. And Matilda was like, "Oh, look at you getting a double shout out." <laughs> and that's the that's the thing. Like I, yeah, Multisport MC is my Instagram, but I have since day dot. Like the pros, they're in the program. They've done interviews. You can Google them. You know about them. But for me, that's half an hour of my day, no matter what event it is. That's that's yeah. half an hour of content for me. Yeah. Um, the people that have paid to be there they're the ones that I want to make it special for because I'm one of them. If I'm on an event, I just want to feel special. Like I've done the training, I've sacrificed time with family or I've gotten out when I didn't want to. And, 
and and you've made it and to make that moment special. So I am always looking at hashtags to see who's used the hashtags leading up to an event, who's tagged that event. And I do all the ground research around age groupers. That's probably where I spend most of my time. So yeah, I love the Instagram where you're following people and you can see. So if you, you are coming up to an event, tag the event, and then we can um, try and get some more stories or just reach out and give me your story. Or if you've got a friend doing it, let me know. Um, Kieran Douglas, who did it backwards. What a yeah, phenomenal story he was. Yeah, um, I went bouncing at the start. Yeah. yeah, so Kieran ran backwards and his story was in 2013, he met a boy who was 10 years of age back then and he has an incurable brain tumor. Um, and then Max was actually running with him who is raising funds for the Juice TV, which is the TV service that they run at the children's hospital. So Max was there with him and just a phenomenal story. They went around in four and a half hours and and that was something that we were able to feed off for the day by having that story it anchored people in the crowd and no one wanted to leave until they saw that story finish and then we got to hear an interview about it and that's so he ran backwards did did it in four and a half hours yes wow and ate that's a couple crazy. of cheeseburgers from mcdonald's on the way because i went past him near the start and because I, I heard the someone said oh, there's someone running and i heard uh i don't know if it might be new or something at the start i said oh, the commentator was saying someone's running it backwards in the yeah, record that was that was me. i think was it you yeah it was a world record of the uh, a gold coast record was three hours 20 something yeah so it was backwards. two weeks before that there was three hours 30 was set so that was the time to be and oh, okay. with the support crew that wasn't going to be possible um i felt really bad though because kieran crossed running backwards he did his interview and everything went away and then there was another gentleman who ran the whole way backwards with no fanfare oh. And he finished about an hour behind. So it just like, you missed that story. And I was like, oh, yeah. I wish I could have made something of that or yeah. someone dressed up or yeah. Was there was anyone doing it barefoot? Cause yeah, there was I, a couple barefoot. Was there? Yeah. I did Brisbane marathon as well, like four weeks beforehand. And there was two guys and I caught one guy with, wasn't long to go. And I think I looked at it and he did it in like 345 or something. You know, and I was like, cool, run that. And some of that tarmac wasn't exactly like, you know, friendly. I was no. like, fair play running barefoot that, that, that far. No. And there was a, so there was a gentleman uh, from India and he ran the half marathon barefoot and was backing up and running the marathon barefoot. And I would oh, not run barefoot right. around yeah. the Gold Coast ever. So he's, <laughs> like, that's pretty crazy. Um, and they're the stories that you get addicted to. Like that's that's mm. why I do it is to to tell you guys, oh, this is what's happening today. It gets you excited because you go, oh, I might get to see that or the people on yeah. the sidelines stick around a bit longer and then we've got more atmosphere. So we make that moment a bit more special. But yeah, the story makes it. You do obviously a fair bit of research then for each event, obviously, like you said, which is uh, part and parcel of it. And that probably is what makes you, you do such a great job is that yeah, you're sort of getting to familiarize yourself with people that then you may have that little extra story when you recognize them coming coming over the finish line. Yeah, and I guess that's the the privilege for me is that so my events uh, come from like Met North Track and Field Championships is one that this, I'm coming up to 10 years on that. And that's, uh, that's local schools pretty much stepping through. And then I go to the CASA School Championships with our Catholic um, girls school. So I meet the athletes there and then I'm at the QG on the live stream for that. 
So I've got all the school stuff happening and I get to see these athletes grow up from being kids right up to being adults like Nick Free. I saw him come through Met North and then I've seen him go through state championship triathlon stuff where I work on the school stuff there. And now I'm seeing him as a professional athlete winning Ironman 70.3s and did a phenomenal job at Jetty to Jetty on the weekend. And it, it makes you pretty, pretty proud to see that progression. And yeah. I get to see people at local events like we were talking about the great crit race at, at Nunda where everyone runs around for 90 minutes, seeing how many laps the team can do. And you got the yeah, Bird exactly. boys there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'm at run army. So I get to see people across all different events. So I get to hear stories and then I get to gold coast and it's like the pinnacle event for me. And you get to share the stories. Um, I've got the sunshine coast marathon, half marathon live stream. I'll be on that. So I'll be able to share stories from that. And it'll be from, what you hear around, but it's also 12 years of hearing people's stories and going, Oh, I've yeah. seen that person here and there and, and adding a bit more to it to make that finish line special. Uh, there's it's a- like, you have to remember all those. Uh, I'm not really good at remembering stats. Like I had a lad, a mate of ours, Jamie used to live with me and he knew like all the stats of who scored, what goal, when he's a soccer player, what yep. goal, when, what team, where they moved from, probably how much they sold for. And with the UFC, no, who fought who even 10 years ago, who was in ultimate fighter three and all, he'd know all of that stuff. But me, I'm just crap at that. Um, I just don't think I've got enough room in my head with my job that to remember remember all those things but um yeah you must have to catalog it and they go oh so and so when they were 13 they did this year and and that yeah and i think i've i've gotten to a i was talking to steve um off mic earlier and i used to start because i started with iron man it was about and, and triathlon it was about everyone hearing their name like joe blogs you're an iron man and and you think okay this is how i've got to do a finish line commentary and then when you start doing live streams and you start doing other things, it becomes, no, I need to let the crowd know what's happening on course and inform the crowd so that when that person comes across the line, they actually give them a louder cheer because me saying a name is one thing, but setting an atmosphere is something a little bit more special. So now I actually probably talk more than I've ever spoken, but it'll be commentary and then you've got to speak about your stakeholders. So without the sponsors putting in some money and putting in some coin that you don't have events, you need that support. And that's why we've seen so many events that aren't on TV now because the sponsors are gone these days. Um, so you've got that, but then my focus is always athlete. So then it's like, okay, here's a mom with her children. How can I make that mom feel special? Here's a dad. He's got two kids in a pram. Like that's a big morning for him. How can we have a joke about it or, make this feel a bit special. I think as a parent myself, we've all run with the pram. Yeah. We've all been through those years. So it's, you've got to laugh at it. Otherwise you'll cry sometimes because they don't get time apart. And then straight from finishing, they don't get to recover. As you know, parents are like, okay, now the kids are hungry. Now they've got to find a bathroom. Now we've got to do six other things before we can get in the car and get home. So it's sort of, we all relate to it. And it's get, I guess it's trying to get those things across sometimes as well. It's entertaining. Like I said to you before we started recording, like you can't fake it because like you've got such a great knowledge of, of the sport. And so you, like, I just don't think you can fake that. But then you sort of said, oh well, you yeah, you can. <laughs> and then like, so tell us a bit about that. Like you've, there's so many different sports that you cover and you just kind of have to like learn really quickly. Yeah. 
Uh, well, this year I did gymnastics for the first time. So that was interesting. Knew nothing about it um, other than watching the, the Olympics a couple of times. So uh, you you get the experts and you listen to the experts. Um, the most probably public one that I had to do was the, the race walks at the Commonwealth Games. So we had a couple of days teeing up for it. Um, my fellow commentator wasn't a race walk expert either. He's also just worked on um, the marathons with the, with the Gold Coast and the live stream stuff. So he was a broadcaster though and knew how to deliver messaging. So then I was like, okay, I need to know the expert stuff about race walking. So I went and questioned one of the guys that I knew from back in the day when I worked at Amart selling shoes, he came in to buy shoes and would tell me about his race walking. And then I, I saw him who, and I see him all the time at the Gold Coast Marathon now, but I was like, mate, can you help me out? Like, I'm doing the announcing live on site tomorrow. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I was like, okay, what's the average heart rate like? What's their their cadence like? What is their um the average speed that they're going around in? Like, what is it average speed wise, but then minutes per um kilometer? Yeah. And so that you can relate it to my world of running knowledge that I had. So like those race walkers, Dane Bird Smith, they they sat on an average of around 355 per kilometer so that's about 19 kilometers per hour walking oh no 16 kilometers per hour sorry as they're walking around most people can't do park run that quick their heart rate's around 175 they've all got a pass where they are middle distance runners and because of injuries have gone to the world of race walking they're phenomenal athletes the final kilometer three minutes 30 was what he dropped as he came across for the gold medal so it just blows your mind to think these guys walk so much faster than i can even run um, on, on a best day doing my best kilometer at the park run. So that's the stuff that you get excited about it when you learn it. Um, but I think there was another one where I was doing judo, uh, and it was actually for the launch of the new indoor center on the gold coast near the sun's ground. Um, and it was judo. It was an exhibition and gladiators back in the day, it had this big guy called Vulcan and I yeah. was doing the commentary and this, I had the the expert guy standing there going, all right, this is a two-legged takedown. All right, we have a two-legged takedown. Here he is on the mats. And then he would tell me the next move. And I go, oh, it's in such and such. And then I had this big guy, Vulcan, who's about six foot six, come over to me and go, you know your way around the mats. <laughs> I don't actually, this guy was just feeding me information. I was able to say it really cool. So I've done that at uh, a few events that I've been new to. So ocean paddling was one that I was new to. So I didn't know the what the guys and what their skis looked like. I hadn't met them before. So um, yeah, they're, they're sort of, you listen and you learn and then you get excited about it. But I've just got that delivery part. It's like, okay, they say it like that. I'll say it like this. And then I can segue into a sponsor spiel and then I can segue into this. And um, yeah. What, what is ocean paddling? Is that? Um... Yeah, the skis, the ocean skis. Like- um, you've got the stand-up paddle boards, but they're more of a race-pointed boat uh, shape. They're fast, those things as well. Yeah, and then you've got yeah, on your knees, the, um, the, on your knee boards. Uh, they've got the outrigger canoes where they've got like a little pontoon next to them, which yeah. acts as a balance. And then they give you things like OCR1, OCR2. All right, that's a two-person outrigger canoe. And you're trying to learn acronyms on the spot. That's always interesting as well. Or you're at a school championship and they give give you all the school's names and acronyms and you're doing presentations going, oh, what's this one? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> God, so is this, that. you're doing this full time now? No, this is a hobby. So okay. I work as a, for a not-for-profit 
um, in disability housing. So my, my whole thing is about helping people. So in the event world, I get to help people have great moments and, and I love it. Um, and it's most of the events I work for are all not for profits. So like I'm doing the river to rooftop and they're fundraising for domestic violence and for the women's legal society. So you, you come in and you give them feedback and you try to grow their event, give them tips on how to advertise things and who they can talk to and word of mouth is the best way to grow numbers and how you get that happening. And, um, that's pretty much what I, yeah, it, it is on the weekends and you get to see these events grow bigger and bigger each, each year. And that's what I sort of get off on and it's, everyone's winning from it. So, um, and, and ultimately people being fit and healthy and getting out there and having a go and inspiring the kids. Yeah. yeah. Joel, um, for yourself, what would be the pinnacle? Would it be like, say we've obviously, we've got in Brisbane, we've got the Olympics in uh, 2032 to get a gig maybe doing the marathon or something on that would that be sort of like you could say like yeah sort of this bucket list job yeah i'd probably say that would that would be probably special it's not something that i have as a goal um getting the the commonwealth games role with michael shelley taking gold medal uh something's pretty special to to be the guy awarding kurt fernley a gold medal is something that I'll never forget in his final ever international race. It's yeah. I, I, I don't know I, because you look at those big events and while they're really great and you can leverage off them and get other big events. Um, it's, it's not something that I need to, I don't need to validate myself off that yeah. anymore. Like I, I feel like I get the same satisfaction of work going like in your poon. I'll probably get the same satisfaction of being at a community race or, Hell of the West out in Gundawindi. I love that race where the community just comes around and gives you a big hug and you just go, well, wow. I just, those races are something special. Uh, and they're sort of like cult races. So um, I think that, that'd that be cool. But as you said, it's not, I'm not a professional MC. This is something I do totally as a hobby. Uh, all my holidays are pretty much used up in going to events. I don't actually have days off. I don't have much of a life. I don't, don't get to have too much friend time because you're on the road or they've got the 40th and you you just need to sleep because you're too buggered. Um, so yeah, you miss out on heaps. Yeah. Stuff you do like miss that. out on a lot of stuff, but in saying that the kids now have seen all of Queensland and hopefully we'll have a few <laughs> more trips around. So pretty much it's all saving up money and then we go on a family trip and, and yeah. it's something that the kids have seen a lot of places that other kids haven't seen like those regional outback areas. Most kids haven't traveled out west and seeing the emus and stuff it's great so you your poon next weekend we won't see you at race the rue in landsborough then unfortunately no it's uh yeah your poon next weekend uh, and that's a, a great event in central queensland it's the only marathon in in that area so that's where i'll be and we've got dream world which is coming up a couple of weeks and sunny coast marathon will be on yeah. that for the first time um and that's another one of those moments. Like I get to work with Pat Carroll uh, on that event and get to work with him a bit. Com Games, we shared the booth. And oh, great. Yeah. And it was a, it was a guy that, yeah, like Steve Monaghetti, I grew up going, oh, wow, look at this guy with the big red fro, rip in, and won just about so many races and had a, a career over 14 years of wins for the Gold Coast Marathon from that first win to his final one. And I was like, yeah. and I'm really uncool as well. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Pat, like you're my idol when I was a kid. Like you, you're it. 
And same with Steve. I was like, Steve, you're such a nice guy. Like, thanks, thanks for call, like talking to me. Thanks for knowing my name. <laughs> like we talk about the the different sports and things. Like, so one of the events I get to work on is the Masters Games, um, and they put me on the indoor rower, which is it sounds like one of the most boring things you could think of. So it's just a like an indoor rowing machine, which is like you have it any gym. Mm. Um, but the concept two rowers, they they can get wired up. So they actually have world records for all the different distances and times. So there's a one minute, there's the five minute, there's the 10 minute, there's the 500, there's the 5,000 and all the different sort of measurements. But so they set it up. It was underneath the circus tent last year and they set it up with the big screen. So you can see where each boat is um, on the screen. You can see the, the stroke rates and everything, but you've got guys like 80 years of age doing it. And there was one gentleman, he was in his nineties. He couldn't see. And he ended up, his wife would guide him to the machine and just yell in his ear and tell him how quickly <laughs> to go and tell him if he was winning or not. And yeah, he would, he would win and set world records. And it was amazing mm-hmm. to see people in their sixties and stuff who, they don't look like athletes, but far out, they're strong and they're really yeah. fit and you, you can't judge a book by its cover. And then I go from the ro- indoor rowing to the running. And there was one guy, he would, there was two guys in the uh, 75 to 79 age group. And they were battling it out. They had their super shoes on like full carbon doing the 5k. And one of the guys was telling me he holds the world record for the quickest um, 75 year old over the marathon. And he didn't start running till he was 72. And Dude. now he's out there and I oh saw him God. finish the Gold Coast as well. And he runs about four hours 30, I think, for the marathon. And he's almost 80 years of age. And it's just like, wow. Um, and that makes you, I don't know about you guys, but that makes me pretty, pretty happy. You see, see that, awesome. you, know, yeah. you are unbelievable. But even Jetty the Jetty on the weekend, there was an 81-year-old. His name was Bob, our final finisher. Um and the surf lifesaver hung around over an hour for Bob to finish and just to give him a beer. And of course, if you're 81, you're running a marathon, you're probably not a beer drinker. So Bob knocked back the beer and said, no, thanks. And then he just wanted a glass of water. So um, it's great to see so many older people out there, but then the growth yeah. in that 20 to 29 age group is just what's making the event so big at the moment. It's, it's really, really cool. And R- running, girls, I reckon are more than boys at most events. Yeah. Running is take is really like, I think CrossFit had a bit of a surge a few years back. Mm. I think running is really, is the sort of like, uh, is the cool thing to do at the moment. It's taken a, there's a real big surge in people. You know, you look at the half marathons, 10 Ks run army. Um, yeah. Bridge to Brisbane. Gold Coast, J the Jetty, um, where we Noosa. It is pat and it is, I reckon there's a lot more uh women doing it in the that younger, that 20 to 29 year old age group than there are, say, men. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, and it, I don't think it go it's a mistake, but if you looked at COVID, all the gyms were shut. So all the PTs had to go outside mm. and there's not a lot of equipment they can use because you couldn't touch anything. So running became a bit of a thing. Um and you could socially distance while you're running. So a lot of these groups all formed over running and it's a bit of a trend that's happening, especially around Brisbane. It's massive. There's so many groups. I think there was five or six groups. I did the Movember uh, event and there was about 300 people rocked up just of the local running groups for a not-for-profit little event. And it was- We've got mega runs kicked up now as well. And then park runs becoming yep. very, 
very popular. I think Australia is probably one of the most popular per capita is one of the most popular places and that the amount that we have park run like in France, they have like eight park runs and two of them are in Paris. Um, um, like the UK has got a lot. I'm not sure about America with, with park run, but, um, definitely UK and Australia, very big. No, we're just at 730 people or 720 that rocked up to Sandgate for the speed week. That was just incredible. And I, I got pantsed. <laughs> The only problem with that one is it's so hard to get over the start line. You lose, what are the, I had, And then finish I line as well, and it's get your tag, you know? I think I lost. Four. Yeah, I run past the tags. I just want to get 5K. I'm, I'm a bit naughty. <laughs> I don't run with the barcode, so. Oh, yeah. You're one of them ones. Oh, one of those ones. Up. They're like, oh. I just run through. Yeah, no, that's a great, man. That's, like, worthy. Well, I mean, there is people that come down just to watch it, don't they? But, like, that's an event worthy of spectating because – the front runners are just it's like Brisbane elite all the Brisbane elite runners just show up and go for it well then yeah we had um Harvey did a great job and then he's second at the Gold Coast Marathon for the 5k so you just you look at that so that's how I get my stories it's trying to get out to events I'm at lots of events myself so you see everyone run, you see how they run. If they've had a great event, you can talk about it. If you've seen them improve lots, you can talk about it. Um, and if you don't know the person, you just try and eyeball them, see the name on the number tag and say something about how, what a great job they've done out there. And you see, you see them glow. So um, of both you guys, you've both said about Gold Coast, got a shout out and how special it, it meant to you guys. And that's, that's all my job is, is to be that, that cheerleader on the microphone. And that's always been my focus is to, to capture a moment. It's always to advocate for the athlete's experience. So if I see things about safety that aren't right at an event, I, I advocate, I send about 20 notes of feedback to a local event right through to the international size events and, and debrief every, every event I do. So um, it's all about, yeah. What are you guys getting for you, for your dollars when you enter? Is your, your course safe? Is it marked out properly? Uh, are you getting a good experience on that finish line or can we improve that experience? What's the experience slide um, when you're picking up your numbers? Is that good? So that's my focus. Um, and, and it's great because I work with other guys and their focus might be more the sponsors, what the sponsors get. So my, my stuff conflicts a lot with sponsors like VIP tents. I don't like VIP tents. It feels like the Romans up holding their thumb up or holding their thumb down for you. And you uh, are the plebs down the bottom doing the event. It's to me, that doesn't feel right. If you're a sponsor, you, you want to be part of the event. So you want to be on ground level. You want to feel it. You want to, you want to see the athletes get the most out of it. So um, I conflict, but and, and advocate as much as possible, but that's, yeah. I think about that's probably in the street. That's it. That's probably why it works so well. Cause you need that balance. Don't you have like, someone if someone's really promoting the the brands that have sponsored it then you need the other ones promoting the athletes that are running it's just a nice balance sort of ways it, they probably even each other out but just on the gold coast do you think this year there was more people that were like just falling to bits yes near the finish it just seemed like a war zone out there oh it's it was the most and i'd have to say to anyone if you can get to a finish line and volunteer on a finish line. It's truly something in special. 
it's it's an emotional like you'll cry um i think i've cried every year i've worked on the gold coast marathon at the finish line like you tear up behind the finish line and it's at these the real intimate moments when you will see a mum or a dad or someone finish and then they'll embrace a loved one like their child or something like the gregsons this year yeah they embraced and it was one of those moments where you just wanted to bottle it up it was just so emotional then their child came over and genevieve and ryan both did personal bests and they were so happy and proud of each other and and that was a moment but you get the the average shows that do it but this year it was like a war zone we heard rob at the start say it's going to be hard and it was a hard day everyone went out like the clappers um everyone's everyone's chasing times now so everyone's yeah. doing park runs and they're doing a lot of running and they're starting to set oh no, i want to break three hours i want to break three hours 30 or or whatever and it was like a war zone where there was vomit everywhere there was people buckling it was um the SES guys and the finish line crew were amazing. You, you wouldn't yeah. get a, a better team. Like it was just phenomenal. Uh, the photographers are down there trying to get photos of it all going on. And there's some amazing video content that has come out from those, just the anguishes on people's faces and the emotion as, as they hit the line, a person's face and their body just goes lifeless. And it's like the whole face just drops. It goes from a grimace right up to the line and then it just changes and seeing that emotion run through a body yeah. is something that I just will never get sick of seeing. I think it's amazing um, how that bo- the mind just wills the body to a point and then you just see them buckle and go down. But I think there is a, a massive movement happening in trail running and running with the endurance world with the Goggins effect. The Dave Goggins run with the boats. People are not listening to their their body signals. Body, yeah. And I was listening to yeah. David Goggins talk about it. Oh, I did this and I pushed through it and I was almost dead and I did this. And, and we are seeing some truly scary scenes out on the course. I've, I've witnessed quite a few um, go down over the years um, where you, you're having to to see some really uncomfortable confronting sights. And, and this year we did see that at the Gold Coast and it's not something that I, I know for me, I, I struggle with it. I'm, I'm the guy who had to get the attention of the medics without saying medicals over the microphone and then it's trying to be like a clown to distract everyone to look back to the woods the finish yeah, line and not look at yeah. the scenes that were unfolding out on course so it's really hard and and for me you're in the moment i was only 50, probably 30 meters away from a, an incident with a, a gentleman getting cpr in the finish shoot which has been highly um publicized but the staff were on the on to the athlete within 30 seconds they were amazing so as soon as I saw it all happen, I said, guys, someone's doing it tough, right 50 meters from the finish. And then we had staff jump the fence and, and they're they in support. So people were unreal, but it's for me, it was the worst part was everyone has their camera out um, and hopefully no one's put footage up of the, the great work that the first aiders did because it is very confronting. I don't think seeing people I, do it yeah, tough. Well, I haven't seen anything surface no, and hopefully no. it doesn't. But it just like... I mean, I've only done the Gold Coast Marathon twice. And last year... Jetty to Jetty was just as bad. Yeah, um, yeah. Jetty to Jetty, really? you were behind the finish line with me, Steve. And that was that was a war zone this year. I've never seen the Jetty to Jetty like that. Uh, and that's the part where I go, this is a, like, seriously, people are ignoring their body signals at the moment. Like out the... you Would you say, Nath, from say sort of like 35, 36K? Maybe before then. 
there's people doing the chicken dance and I'm thinking, yeah. I was trying to get up and continue. I'm thinking you've got so far to go, mate. You mm. like, you're not going to make it. And there was medics mm. whizzing up and down the road. And I just remember thinking, wow. And then I sort of hit 38 K and I was thinking, shit, I'm <laughs> going to need join my medics in a second, but like, and it happens quick. Um, yeah. It, and, it's and surprising. I, I was isn't it? worried on the day. I'm um, sorry, Nathan, but it was a cool day. And I was mm. really worried that people weren't wind. going to drink enough. Or... Yeah, I think that wind dry, dries you out. It's a different yes. thing we used to say. Cy- when I, I, I've done a lot of long-range cycling, and they used to say and a, a wind uh, cycling is one of the wor- easiest ways to get dehydrated because the breeze, and you're, you're driving along at 30k an hour, it's like a 30k an hour wind hitting you, standing still, you actually whisks away your sweat. So you think, oh, I'm not sweating. I don't need to drink as, that much. And then you get off the bike after three hours, and you're really dehydrated, and you go, I didn't sweat much. You did. You just didn't realize it. And I think that's uh, maybe that's maybe that's what was happening. And that final seven k's, you were running into a headwind. Yeah, it was really windy. It hasn't been like that for quite no, a few years hard. either. And there wasn't many yeah. people dressed up. Like normally, there's a, a heap of costumes out there on course. There was probably only two or three dressed up. Really, mm. um, lots of people in charity gear, lots of people in club gear, but they were all singlets. They weren't dressed up in a full woody suit or a wonder woman outfit or superman yeah. or anything like they normally do in the past. So didn't yeah. see the tuba man back. Um, it's normally a guy who goes around playing the tuba for the whole 42.2 Ks. Um, there was no egg on the spoon guy this year. So it, yeah, it was a sellout field. I think lots of people wanted to be part of it. Um, but there, and a lot of people have stepped up to marathon and have really stepped up to the half marathons as well that yeah. wouldn't have in the past like it's I, growing i think you've you've hit the you've said there's two things there uh the the first thing you said was about the david goggins effect mm. and people think you know david goggins is a whole different person you know he was a navy seal he went through buds three times that guy knows how to push it up he knows when he is gonna uh, drop or not and he has had points of where he's had to pull out of uh, a race because he knew that he's something out was, and he kept it quiet. And then if you read his books and then his, his new book, he talks about how he knew that something was wrong. We didn't want to tell anyone. Then he had to, and he had to go to emergencies. So he, he's probably very in touch with his body. Um, but these people go, Oh yeah, I'll just do what David got. I'll just keep pushing because, because he, you know, it's mind. My body's just willing, but then they're probably, if they've like, I'm, I suppose to a certain extent, Steve and I have trained for different sports all, all our life. And I'm a type one diabetic. So I'm very much in touch with my body. I know when I can just, I'll know when my blood sugar starts going down, it'd just be like someone just flicked a switch on, flicked it off. And I go, Oh, hang on. What was that? That was a, that was a signal, but you've got to know about it. Yep. But it might be like a half an hour before I get a really low, low, but I can just feel the insulin sort of working in the body. And these people aren't used to it, I don't think, knowing. And then you say, when it happens, it happens like a roller coaster because they're fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. All of a sudden, they're like staggering down the road like they're drunk because they they haven't got a clue what they're doing. And they don't yeah. know. Then they're not in control of themselves to stop until their body says, you know what? You need to lie flat. And that's where you pass out. Your body says, you're going to kill yourself. So stop me from dying. I'm going to make you pass out and land flat on the floor. And that's when you see these people. They're like, I saw one guy there, the two paramedics with him going, oh, we've got to stick a line in. You know, so he was like, <laughs> he was unconscious on the side of the road. Yeah. 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 And, we, and we do have yeah. the guy, it was 35 kilometers 
uh, in who is still fighting at the moment. So still in critical condition. They've started to go yep. fund me uh, for him. So hopefully he can, yeah. He's a personal a trainer of best, best mate's gym. Yeah. So, so super fit. Uh, yeah. He's a solid lad. But, um, yeah, just obviously something went wrong. Mm. Um, maybe sometimes you don't get those signals or it's just too much. But Yeah, you know, and I also, like I, I've been in a situation like that, that Ironman where I vomited. Um, I, like I hit the deck. Oh, I was a hero running 420 pace uh, at the start of the marathon. So 8Ks into the marathon and then took, I think, one gel bit of fluid next thing i know i'm waking up on the ground in vomit yeah. so it yeah. happens so quick and mm. even my last run i did was a trail run um thanks steve jackson down on the gold coast and it was very hilly but there was these massive downhills went 500 meters straight down and it ripped my quads up so badly that yeah i just had so much lactic acid in my body so when i went i couldn't get a soft drink um i just needed sugar or just something and i ended up i passed out smashed my head on the way down, trying to, trying to pay for my, my ginger beer. And I, I woke up and I had people going, Coca-Cola. There's your, there's your, well, I couldn't even get it. Oh, I mate. couldn't get anything. Um, That's my lifesaver. Yeah. Well, and then they're like, Oh, quick, get a medic, get a defib. Someone call an ambulance. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I just needed a reset. Like I'm okay. I was fine then, but it's just the body. Yeah. The signal comes in, but it doesn't warn you. Like it was just like, bang, you're out. Um, and that was, again, I think I overdid the nutrition. I made it too concentrated and my tummy just didn't like it. So but they said, I was looking up about it and um, they said no one's ever died from um, dehydration at a marathon, but lots of people have died from hyponatremia. Yes. They're drinking too much water, put too much pressure on the heart and because you've got increased blood volume. They put too much pressure on the the heart um and that's why you give first thing you give someone with, with high blood pressure is a diuretic thin yeah so they're always going to the toilet older people so it helps thin keeps the blood volume down um but yeah you think sometimes the um there's too much pressure on the kidneys as well because they're having to process all that all that fluid yeah and you you see them get worried when they do the weigh-in and they're holding fluid that's where they start to go oh, okay you need to stop like that's where yeah. you do see warnings signals and mm. you do see people get a bit worried about them when you can see that they're actively just re water retention happening, which yeah. I've seen lots of cases of that um, happen as well, but yeah, not, not something you want to see. Uh, yeah. Been at triathlons and seen it, seen it lots of too many times, but, um, and then yeah. Jetty to Jetty. Are we going to talk about that on Sunday? Biggest sporting yeah. scandal since, I've cotton. I've got the uh, I've got the <laughs> interviews with the winners, but I might um I might put them on at the start. But um, yeah, should we just talk about that? I can't really mention any names, probably, but that was pretty interesting. Hey, eh? like pretty wild. Is that the yeah, first well, time you've come across something like that, Joe? Uh I, I I've seen lots of athletes get disqualified in triathlons, in particular, especially where you're on a swim course and they'll they'll come off the swim course or they won't turn around a, a can and they'll get disqualified. So I've seen that happen. Okay. I've seen athletes yeah. then ignore the officials uh, and continue on and finish the race, but they've been disqualified. Um, and they've actively known that, Hey, you're going to be disqualified, being communicated with, and they've gone around, or if it's a lap course and an athlete has gone nut, it's a tough day and they've just come in across the finish line. Normally that person will come in first 
and you will know it's not the person that you've been watching. Um, on Sunday was one of the most professional run local races that I've come across. Like Jetty Jetty, I did my first one around that 2016 when I did my first Gold Coast, and it was not the best run event back then. It didn't have the timing or anything in place that it has now. And I actually had a break from the event because I didn't enjoy it very much. I didn't find the focus on the athletes enough. I found too much focus on the mayor having a speech and other people having speeches. And I was like, nah, this is just, it's not about the athlete. It's not, not what I want to be part of. And they've done a fantastic job. Now it's about the athletes again. It's about performance and about that ecosystem of beginners right through to the top. And I, I'm a really big fan of what they've done and a big kudos to the Morton Bay Roadrunners and also the Morton Bay Regional Council for the great work they've done. But we had it the best timing. So those timing splits every five kilometers on the day, I'm reading out the timing splits, which are giving me a leaderboard, which is updates of where every athlete is, who's 17 seconds behind, one minute behind, two minutes behind. And a certain athlete wasn't part of that whole agenda or that whole thing. I was doing that for 30 minutes before we had our first finisher, Nick Free, come across the line. So I was like, yep, I know who's coming in the men's. I know who's coming in the females. Um, this is who I expect to come through because what happens is they hit that spotter, Matt, that I spoke about earlier where we get the data about the names. And nine times out of 10, sometimes the names do not work the first time we get that. And there's some tweaking we need to do or get the data coming from the box to the iPad. So that... I always get ready to go. It's going to fail. Who have I got coming first? Who have I got coming second? Who am I expecting third? Um, so I, I was across the podiums and then, yeah, this athlete comes through. We had Cassie Fiend doing a fantastic job. She came through. She was expected to come through for the ladies. That had a lead bike on it. And then the next athlete who came through for the ladies, I think at the time I even said, where did she come from? Um, she must've had an amazing final section of the race because she wasn't in it. And it was just weird. She had one. Did you go to hit the spotter mat? Did that, did that hit the spotter mat or not? Uh, I was not reading the spotter mat at the time because we had a lot of men coming through as well. Okay. So when you have the lead females come through, you've normally got a heap of the men. Plus we had the 10 kilometer finishes coming across the line oh, as well. So okay. it was hectic. Um, down there, Steve would have seen it was starting that's, to get that's really why I, full on. Like, because I got the men's first, second, and third, and then when I was just finishing, I think maybe the third guy, the like women's winner had gone through, but there was just a sea of people yeah. by that stage. It was so hard to track the females down, so I didn't get to chat to any of them. But yeah, then I just <laughs> oh, it was but, just a weird, very weird moment, I guess. Hey. And probably weirder for Steve, you probably saw it all a little bit better than me, but I I, I watched um, this athlete come through and I was like, where'd she come from? Like, she looks so that was fresh. Second, that, that was actually second place then, was it? Yeah, that was second place. I was okay. like, she looks so fresh. Um, she's only got one ear pod in. Like, something's not right. She didn't, the, as I said earlier, every no athlete, watch. when you say their name, there's a body reaction. This athlete showed me nothing. There was absolutely no reaction to having a name and kept running way further than they needed to. This was one hour, 16, 30 seconds, which would have been an eight minute pit personal best for this athlete. Did not show any fatigue. Did look fresh as a daisy. Didn't even look at me. And um, then the next Didn't athlete start, bend over, hold it. So the person who comes running. First, first and third, they stopped, put your hand on your knees, kind of like, oh, I'm stuffed. I've had so, a good yeah. Then we had uh, the, the third athlete coming across the line. Um, 
think it was Kate Ella. Price. Uh, no, Ella was fourth across line, but, right. but um, she she actually went down on her hands and knees, and I said, "You can smile now. You finished, and what a great effort!" And she was non-verbal; she couldn't talk to me, but she had clenched jaw, like she was really angry. And it wasn't until later I found out sort of why, and yeah, the reason why was because no, I I should have been second. That chick was not on the course in front of me. So the jetty to jetty for, for those who don't know the course, it's an out and back course. So once you pass um, sort of three Ks, there's really nowhere to go. You've sort of got to keep going straight out. So there's, uh, and then the girls would have seen each other because they're very spread out. There was two minutes between each wave, the elite wave, there's probably 50 to 80 athletes in it. So it wasn't massive. And the, the girls running or, and the gentlemen running between one hour sort of 13 to one hour 20 are so spread out. It's not funny. So, um, yeah. What, so no what, one saw this person. So the apparent thing is people who don't know listening around the world yes. in the local way, is that someone that came in second woman left the field, walked off the course after about, did they never made it over the 5k timing map? Never no. hit a single timing mat. So I looked at the results straight away because I had but the start timing mat set it off. Did they set off the start timing mat? Yes, mats? start they mat. They did. So that, the that chip mat. was working. Yes, chip was working. Okay. But then we also have photographers out on course. So um, I did presentations with the the three ladies and um, the person who did step off the course. She was disqualified by that stage. So that's within 15 minutes of the course right. being done. She'd already been disqualified. So did they tell presentations and the energy was really awkward. And I was like, Oh, what's going on here? It was like, Oh, I don't see um, the athlete who I know was on a podium. And I did that presentations in the 10 K. I was like, Oh, must've had a different, what distance should you do? And then after the race, I got told that she'd been disqualified. Um, so then when we look at everything, I said, like, Oh, well, did she have a watch on? No, she didn't have a watch on. So that was like, Oh, that's weird. She can't, everyone runs for Strava these days. I don't know about you guys, but as I said, I run to 5k, not to the park run 4.8. So um, not, not wide like me or most, most people, they normally run the extra to get there. But I said, oh, okay, photographers will have photos. There was photographers right the way up to the turnaround point. So all the way up to Scarborough, which is the turnaround. So mm. but as it unfolded on the Monday morning, I went onto my Instagram as you do. And there's, this athlete who was disqualified had posted a post with a finishing time of one hour, 16, 30 saying she came second and how, what a great hit out it was. And it had timing splits in it, which never ever existed. So to me, straight away fraud. Um, mm. And to me, disgusting because this person was a professional athlete. Uh, it, it was disgraceful to do that. Also a lawyer, which makes it just even worse ethically. How can you do that? Um, and I was sort of thrown in the face of all the people that were there at the event, the, all the organizers who'd done an amazing job. So it was confirmed, didn't go over a timing mat. It was confirmed through photos and video evidence. The last time spotted on course was about three kilometers. The photographers are about one kilometer out from the finish line. So that's where she's resurfaced, but she resurfaced with a, her number pinned onto a pink crop top and has a watch oh. on. And then as she's entered the finish shoot, the watch no, what? moved. So very, very manipulative 
I've never seen such blatant cheating in my life. Uh, <laughs> to think you get away with it just blows my mind. So a few people called her out on it um, on the social medias this week. And she then attacked them and gave them lawyer letters. Um, and, and yeah, it's just really, really wrong. It's like, well, you've robbed yourself because you didn't get the experience of 21 Ks with a beautiful sunrise out there. You didn't get to run with all those beautiful people um, out on the course. And then you've, you've lied to yourself about your finish your time and everything, but you've, what she's done is upset a lot of people, including myself, who then I questioned my sanity on Monday gone those splits wouldn't existed because I never read her name out. She, she didn't make a single timing split to make it onto the leaderboard. Yeah. And and I think, you, I mean, you've got to be, well, it's strange, isn't it? But to enter the course, but make sure you're second and not third, or was that just luck? Do you think it was I, just I, luck? I believe, well, she had a watch on, so she would have known exactly what time she was going for. Also, in her social media, she was, trying to word up that she was running a, a 35 minute 10 K, which she'd never done before. So that was sort of leading to, she probably had a race time uh, in place, but there was a lead bike. There's no way she could have come on to the course in front of the lead bike. Cause the lead bike was with that leader, Cassie Fiend, the whole way oh, around. Yeah, if okay. there was no it's lead bike, she probably would have attempted to go for first just like she had at previous races, which are under investigation now. So a lot has arisen. Mm. There's a, quite a few triathlons and also marathons where athletes said, hey, I was gauging off her. She was right there. Then she disappeared and then she reappeared in front of them right in those final kilometers. So um, you time be lucky. being looked into and everything at the moment. But the timing mm. at the Jetty Jetty was so good. Um, yeah. that she had nothing to go off. And then the photographers backed up the timing that she wasn't in those midpoint of the race. So uh, and that happened pretty quick. That disqualification yeah. happened pretty quick. Yes. At the end. And well, that's the kudos that. to the professionalism of the of that event. Um, and I think a lot of events need to learn off, off that then. And a lot of other timing people need to learn off it. The, the concerns I always have though, is like sport of triathlon has a technical official in that. So there's people on course as technical officials, which are the referees of the sport. Mm. So for them to allow it to happen when you've got someone actually watching the podium and watching the places, that blows my mind a little bit. Was there prize money at Jetty to Jetty? Or? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, that makes it even was worse. it about the money? I don't know. But so many you, questions. You've got to have, uh, but you have to feel uh, a little, like, I know there's not much sympathy, but you have to think about the person who did it maybe their their mental um capacity or just some psychological issues that they may be facing that that led them to such an extravagant um you know process to get to for this to happen as well you know that obviously they probably would need some help you know to just to, to just go and do something like that yeah well uh, i'm like i i question my sanity after all of it, but then I looked at previous posts from their previous race where it was thought that they also might have skipped the course a little bit and jumped up a few positions. And at that in that at that race, she qualified for a world championship um, yeah. in the sport of triathlon. So took that spot away from someone who'd done the right yes. thing and did the course. So that's upsetting, um, mm -hmm. and that's affected that person a lot who put in all that hard work. So, but yeah. under that post where she gloats about it, she is given a lot of comments from people. So 
what I've learned um, through my sort of turbulent time is that if you you do struggle mentally and you do have depression or you're really struggling, you, you chase people validating you. And this person was validated by a lot of people in mm-hmm. across the, the triathlon world and given lots of love and, and comments and probably given a little bit of sponsorship and everything. And, and then she's probably loved that attention and thinks, how can I get that again? Um, but I, and I've, I've seen it in other people where there's depression and they'll go and buy a new dog or they'll go and buy lots of things thinking that'll validate them. Like you're always looking for something to pull you out mm-hmm. of that and give you some feeling. And is it the right feeling? No. Should we be validating that sort of behavior? No. Should we demonize her? No, I don't think we should do that either. She doesn't needs help. Um, mm-hmm. what my thing would be, you can race, if you're struggling that much with mental health and, and struggling to be out there as an athlete, but you, you still feel like you need to be, you race with a guide provided from the event and they will watch you the whole way around to ensure that you do the course. Um, otherwise you, start, you just think, can't race because you're affecting other people. Yeah. And you sometimes think, Oh, what's worse that or doping, but at least someone who dopes does the whole race. <laughs> you know, it's uh, they don't, yeah. And I've seen the, I've seen the doping one on. firsthand. So um, I don't know if you heard about it. the world championships on the gold coast for triathlon. There was Jared Gossens, who's a blind athlete. Um, he's a phenomenal runner. He's in his fifth. He was going for his fifth Commonwealth games at the age of 50. And he had a guide runner, um, for the whole event, the swim, bike, and the run. And I was working in the recovery area, not as an MC, but just working on the recovery area. Um, and Jared's guide went missing. And the drug um, police, water, <laughs> yeah, water, yeah. they were trying to, to find like his guide and they wanted to drug test both Jared and the guide. So then it came out and it was actually on current affair. So the guide was tested positive for his individual race, which was the day before where he came second in the world for his age group. And then he was clean on the day that he raced with Jared, but because of his disqualification or because of the sanctioning from the day before, it meant that Jared missed out on the Commonwealth games and wasn't able to get points. So that doping affected another person in another way. Um, But doping, I I, I don't know. Some people I feel like, I've known a lot of people that have been been done for doping in the triathlon world. And I don't know if it's always done on purpose or they grab a supplement because someone's talked it up and sort of it's, it's happened accidentally. And then there's also doping where you know that it's um, they've thought about it and they've planned it and the transfusions and everything like the Lance Armstrong type doping. You go, okay, well that's on purpose. Um, this cheating where you skip the course and you do four kilometers of a 21 kilometer race I can I can live with her being disqualified. It was the post on the Monday that I can't move past. Yeah, why would you do that? You've been disqualified. Yeah. Photoshop then- splits, and you're chasing people to validate you, saying you're the best person in the world. Great run, where you never did the run, and then you Photoshop splits, like you were disqualified. Because that obviously go away quietly. That, that page obviously never was happened exist that page didn't exist never we know so we know then that there's there's even more questions being asked there um but if you'd been disqualified would you then post make a i mean you might say yeah i did it 
um and even though my times didn't come up but that yada yada but then to actually then go and actually falsify pages that never existed to then try and validate yeah i shouldn't have been disqualified is even far worse because you'd be you bring even more attention to yourself yeah there was being and and that's the thing like there was a line and then there was that post and then people who called out the post were then sought after and abused by the boyfriend it was just toxic it was a it was a few days in the week where I was anxious. I was like, what is going on? Why, why am I feeling anxious? What did I do wrong on the day? What did those athletes who actually ran the course and had podiums attempted to be taken away from them? What did they do on the day wrong? They did nothing. Yeah. They, they had a great run. It was a lumpy course. So it was great conditions. It was humid. So it was actually a little bit harder than we thought. Um, but no one when did I saw wrong. the letter ask for it. And this lady's sort of yeah. taken that away from us all. When I saw the letter that, uh one athlete had because they've been making social media posts i actually like you said i felt anxious and worried for them like it was almost me that was had this uh a letter um that that, um was like saying oh we're gonna you're gonna get sued because of what you yeah uh, and when i i spoke to timing on the sunday so um timing had done their job on the day made it fair safe and timed everyone and done that but the first thing he was said oh i'm gonna sue you so she said that to the people at the event and the event did an amazing job they did the right thing they got the right outcome they did it quick they didn't stir over it they didn't hand any prize money out that they didn't have to we ran presentations on time everything happened um as it should it was a super smooth day and while that's all happening and she's bringing attention to that. We had medicals going down left, right, and center. It was a war right. zone, just like it was on the Gold yeah. Coast, because um, people are trying really, really hard in these events, and people are trying their best. And for people to try their best, they've got to feel safe. So obviously, the Gold Coast and the Jetty to Jetty have put on events where um, it's run professionally and safely, and people feel like they can push their bodies to the limit, and they'll be looked after. Um, people saying they're going to sue people because they don't want to be part of that is not cool because it takes energy away um, from the people who are focusing on the safety of others. And that was what happened on the day. And that's what upsets me um, because I could not give any more accreditation to the staff and stuff. They were amazing. They were one of the best teams I've worked with on the finish line. So, so the timing chip registered at the start and at the finish. Correct. So there's no, that's how the one hour 1630 comes up. And if you add up the splits, they don't add up to one hour, 1630. And there's, uh, no. I think everyone in the triathlon and, and uh, running world have been detectives over the last week because the amount of posts and videos that have come out and people have gone through all the timing splits from the top three girls and actually worked out which splits were Photoshopped to uh, create the timing splits that we saw and to go into the effort. The effort blows your mind. No. No. If I did that much effort at school, I'd be a doctor. <laughs> I wouldn't be working two jobs. <laughs> you just yeah. don't expect this to happen in a local event, do you? But, but then like you say, it's, it's brought um, focus now onto other races that the person's done where there's been suspect. And so we may yeah, and other people have missed out. fall out from that. Yeah. Uh, and and like that, that letter you saw, I, I believe that was written by a boss. So it brings a workplace into disrepute. It brings lots of people 
um, yeah, because all you got into take attention in the limelight. Because yeah. I don't think that person got the full quid or the full story. No. Um, you can only go off what they've told you, and yep. how do you know if that's the truth of what they're telling you? You know, there's only a um, certain amount you can. Yeah, and and what I look at is. Nick Free ran amazing. He's lining up for Ironman 70.3 on the sunny coast in a couple of weeks. Local boy uh, went to Genesis Christian College. He's had a little bit of time off. He's getting fit once again for race season. And he ran, a, I think it was 107 um, yeah. to get himself around the grounds, which was one minute quicker than the year before. And I look at the performances and just go, like, these guys ran really, really well. Like, the top five men were awesome. Paul Gourlay came from about fifth into third because the boys were blowing up around him. Like, the racing from was so good. It was the best I've seen at the Jetty the Jetty. And the depth was the best I've ever seen at the Jetty the Jetty in both the men's and the ladies. There was no soft results. Last year, we had girls winning the 5K in 21 minutes. It was pretty soft. Like, park run yeah. would blow yeah. that away. Uh, this year, they're back down to 17 and a half, 18 minutes, and the, the top th- five were under 20. And it's a lumpy 5K. Yeah. Like, it's not fast. My, um, my workout I did this morning, I went on the Jetty to Jetty course, and, oh, man, right? you get up that hill at the Belvedere. Yep. You get a slight, maybe a little bit of down, and then it goes up again. Then you down the big hill. I did a oh, I around it like Sutton's Beach. Man, the wind was in my face. Hit those hills on the way back. It's brutal. Definitely well, not in, not a, not a, not a fast course. That's for sure. No, and so yeah, if you're a certain athlete, you turn around there and you make your way back down to the coffee shop. But uh, and and that's it. The last last evidence I saw was a video of her sitting in uh behind fifth place, and she was about thirty seconds behind them in the white singlet. Did sound aghast. You could hear her breathing. Um, on the video and the girls in front of her were talking and in great pace, really efficient, really long strides. And yeah, there's no way she could have then caught them and then put another two minutes into them and, and them not see her and the photographers not to see her and the timing chips not to work mysteriously over those. So um, yeah, the evidence is stacked up. So that, that, that happened and the result was done. Perfectly on, on Sunday. And then we just all got sucked in on, on the, the post during the week. And I guess what it shows is that not everyone's factual when they are posting on social media. And, um, but I am also thankful for the friends that I made this week as well. Like it's brought the running and triathlon community closer than ever. And I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of people at the sunny coast in the next event and who's lining up there and cheer them on. How bizarre. So bizarre. So I, I talk about, um, uh, moving time and elapsed time. And the two are usually quite different in most people's running. People have this, we have ourselves have this misconception that, oh yeah, I could do a half marathon in this time, but okay, Nathan, you, you stopped for 10 minutes in between. So now you, it's 10 minutes slower, you know, so um, that, can, and then what gets posted on, it's unfortunate your Strava, your screenshot is always your moving time, not mm. your, a lap total time so yeah you can post that and go oh look how fast i was but yeah reality, and the only yeah. way to floor that is you see the heart rate dip down yeah. and dip yeah. back up if, as long as the heart and then rate you know someone's actually when i was in the brisbane marathon some guy was stopped leaning over his hands on his knees and it was i think when we went over the story bridge the second time i said come on mate and he went beep 
and clicked his watch again <laughs> start to, to restart it. And I was like, I was going to say to him, mate, the time at the finish will be your true time, not yeah, what you've yeah. just clicked on your on your, your gun start. You know? So he'd be showing, he'd be going, no, I didn't imagine this time that they got it wrong. Strava Noia, <laughs> yeah. they call yeah. that. Yeah. and and that's why you're running those and and in trail running i guess the timers really earn their stripes because all our watches drop out in the density of those bushes the gps isn't great out in a lot of those spots Mm. and and that's why timing is so integral and i guess the biggest thing to the timing guys is more data the better validate the courses is what your job is as a timing company is to have a mat at the furthest point um, that people have to go around, not just have a mat at the start and the finish and, and take your money. Um, and, and not know where some of the mats are as well, like especially the trail races, because if you knew the trails well, you might think, oh, I can flip across here. I can yep. I can skip a few K. But I remember when I did the Brisbane Trail Marathon, when we came in at 90K, I didn't hear a beep. And I said, oh, did my tag set off the timing mat? And he goes, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So... Um, but they had been expecting us because uh, Steve Sparling, my pacer, um, he he jumped in with me early, so they knew to expect us. So I could I could validate that they would definitely would have seen because they said, oh, "Are you Nathan?" I said, "Yeah, I am." So you know, I definitely know I was there, and people would have said, "Yeah, we definitely saw Nathan." So yeah, he, and they don't all beat. They don't all beat. There's um certain ones beat. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot that don't. Just hope they work. Yeah, they're. We've got live timing. Most of those guys, you can even check it. Like as it goes up to the, the satellite comes back down and then it's there on your, your phone within like 30 seconds or so anyway. Um, but that case was doesn't so... work well like that is Gold Coast Marathon when 50,000 people are trying to click in to yeah. see their loved ones and see where they are on course. Then it gets a little bit shaky, but like Gold Coast Marathon, I was on the, the app the same as everyone in the crowd to get the updates for the races because oh, none of our yeah. timing stuff was working yet. It wasn't even set up. So um, most of the time I'm on the exact same data that's accessible no to everyone in the crowd. It's just, I talk about it. So you don't know it. Yeah, I sound like I know more than I do, but I don't, I'm, I'm on the same oh, stuff really. as you guys most of the time. Yeah. And that's how it's set up. Like I, I just log into the apps. Um, I'm reading the same information you guys get. It's just, I memorize a bit more of the, athlete guide than what you guys probably do sometimes um, and try and make it sound a little bit entertaining and sound like a conversation rather than reading out the messaging. Yeah. Well, you do such a good job, uh, Joel, and it's great having you, um, you know, commentate uh, for us at the local events. I think we're lucky to have you in Southeast Queensland. So I love it. I absolutely love it. And thanks yeah, for coming awesome. on the show. It's been um, good to have you on see like, uh, you you watch us coming across the line and uh, and see all the other stuff going on. So yeah. yeah, it's it's special when you got it's special for me when you know the person coming across the line. Like it does mean more for me as well. It's a it's like, oh that's um yeah that's Nathan coming in. He is a type one bet. That meant as much to me calling it out as it hopefully meant to you as well. So oh, yeah, awesome. it, Thanks, man. yeah, it does. It's um yeah. I, I wish I knew everyone. I wish I knew everyone's stories. Like there's everyone's got something that they've had to overcome to get on the start line. Everyone's shown resilience through training. Everyone's got a funny little training routine that they do. And you just wish you knew it all. Um, and I guess this is where you guys are lucky because you do a podcast where you get to talk to the athletes and find out all those little stories and mm-hmm. um, yeah, get a bit more than the 30 seconds I get as they cross the line. And then I'm too busy yeah. to chat to people. It's 
you guys get it all. It's good. Some of the, like I was going through um, making a list um, the other day, but like some of the free like advice and information that some of the like elite guys are giving us, mm. it's in, it's crazy. Like, um, oh, like even Dave Ridley, the week of the Gold Coast, he came on and I said, oh, have you got any advice for anyone, you know, chasing sort of around three, three and a half hours for the marathon or something like that. And he just talked for about five minutes with just the best advice ever. And I thought afterwards, like I was even thinking about some of that during the race. Like it was the, it just the running community is so good. Eh? Everyone's just willing to give it, give a, give their knowledge away sometimes for free. <laughs> Not all the time, but a lot of the time they are. Eh? I quoted um, Reedy from what he said when I did my a little LinkedIn post about Gold Coast. And when he said, when you go, when you get a PB or you're going for a PB, you're asking your body to do something it's never done before. Yeah. And that's so very true. Or if you're doing a marathon for the first time, you're asking your body to do something it's never done before. And that was going through my head, like the whole a lot of the a lot of the race as well and we chatted with him and then so, i find it amazing when leon Adams, who does a pb for the marathon still not happy because it wasn't a qualifier but yeah. hopefully he will get the qualifier because <laughs> he won the oceana championship so that'll rack up his points a little bit so we hopefully we'll yeah. see him at paris in the Olympics. but i saw him that evening after the marathon and he was uh, you had steve modigetti talking to him saying how good he was there was a great moment. There's plenty of photos with Rob DiCostello. Where was that at? Was that a little meeting? Was yeah, that like- it was a debrief with all the staff. And um, Rob DiCostello, that moment where he grabs Liam, there's a beautiful photo. And yeah. it's it's the the fastest ever marathon runner on Australian soil passing the mantle to to Liam. And, and that moment, I, I saw it. I was probably a meter away from it. And I saw it all unfold, but it didn't soak in till someone pointed it out to me later. I was like, Oh wow. I actually got to see that. And I was right. I, I smelt the yeah. sweat coming off Liam. Um, but it's just special. And so everyone was having to talk to him because Liam was so hard on himself about missing out. And I was like, mate, you did a PB. Like to me, that's just, yeah. if it's a 10 second PB, it's a PB, but he did over two minutes. Um, what, what, what a it's great a story he is. Massive PB. Yeah. He's just, I was actually thinking about that this morning on the session. I was thinking when I was getting tired, like, what would Liam Adams do? He'd paint his shoes. Grit his his teeth and just get it done. He's not even a pretty runner. And and I'd have to say, like, the athletes I love cheering on the most are the most unorthodox runners. They wear the pain on their face and they're just gritty. I love watching gritty athletes go. It's... um, Truly something special. Like there's uh I don't know if you ever knew the runner Donnie Wallace. I don't yeah. know if you'll get him on your podcast yeah. one day, but a couple of top tens at Comrades, and he was a gritty runner. And Johnny Peters' dad, Ronnie Peters, mate, two of the grittiest men I've ever seen out there running. It's uh I love love that sort of thing. Did you do Brisbane Marathon? Were you the MC for the Brisbane Marathon? No, I I did it a couple of years ago and I've had a bit right. of a break from it. So yeah. um yeah, it's, it's, it was always, a, it's a funny one, Brisbane, like a lot of paths were involved in it. It's, um, okay. I think if they open it up to more road, then it'll become a better, better event. Yeah. And that's where it's moving, but it's got it. It's the, the chicken and the egg. They need more athletes to then justify to the council and yeah. state government yeah. to close down the roads. 
Um, so they need the numbers to then get the course and that's really hard. And those event yeah. organizers at Atlas are doing a fantastic job to, to grow that event. It's great to see it getting, it looks like it's getting close to those numbers. Run Army is the other one um, in Brisbane, which, yeah, they'll, they'll change that course as they get more and more numbers. It's yeah, so hilly. Huge. Oh, God. Well, the same as Brisbane Marathon is hilly as well. It's like mm. nearly 400 metres of elevation. And they're still running 31 minutes. Yeah. On a hilly course. Yeah, I couldn't believe yeah. the amount of people. When um the boys were like, oh, let's do the Run Army Fun Run, I was like, oh, yeah, right. But I literally thought there'd be maybe 150 people there. Oh, mate, sold so, out. Got there 6,000. couldn't even move. I was like, oh, we couldn't even get to the start line, hey? No. That's nah, like, crazy, wasn't it? Run up the opposite side of the yeah. road. And, oh, second, yeah. second every year. Uh, and that's one of those ones where I tickle myself because my, my co-mic is Mark Beretta. And what a legend he is. I've met him over the years at different events in Noosa and stuff. And, yeah, he, he, Joel, you've got this. <laughs> so. <laughs> And yeah, you get to work with professionals like that and Rob's there and but the run army is about the story of legacy. And it's, I had one of the, my children's parents from uh, or friends, parents come up and they're, they're a legacy family and spoke about how much it meant to them to have that event and how they were there. And they're not runners, but they participated and got the kids out there. So to see families of fallen um, veterans uh, out there being supported and that's a day to make them feel special. And and that, that's what events are. They're, they're about a story. Um, there's not those charity driven events, especially like that. They are so special and they're the ones where I'm on a high for three days afterwards, or it's the one where I'm nervous a week before because you're like, Oh, how can I do this justice? It's there's all these people that rely on this event going well um, for them to have a better quality of life. It, for the next 12 months yeah. like it's yeah. pretty cool um hell of the west is like that as well like all their money gets pumped back into the local community so the local community can do sport for the next 12 months um and that's only 350 athletes go out there and that's that's all they sort of can have with accommodation wise it all sells out but that that's massive for the little border town of new south wales and queensland and in gundy and st george is also like that as well like they they run these events in regional areas so that they can run the kindy program or they can run their mm-hmm. swimming program and stuff. But that's where all the money goes. And that's, that's what, if you can support a regional event, get out there because all the money just stays there. It doesn't go overseas. It doesn't go anywhere else. Like some of these other ones. It's cool. But even Gold Coast Marathon is local run state government run events management, yeah. Queensland. So it's all stays here and it makes yeah. the events better. More staff they can employ. Um, and then they'll that run would be good. the Gold Coast would be good if they made it like um made it a major rather than rather than the Sydney Marathon because the amount of people we get there and it's a fast course as well. So I reckon it would be a real good one to get some really like even well, we get good elites anyway. But like if you had a like Kipchoge type person um come and do Gold Coast would just uh, would be pretty special to run. Oh yeah, and like Gold Coast, like Yuki Kawauchi, who has a hundred and seventy marathons under two hours thirty. Um, that's uh, pretty. That's, that's pretty incredible. Hey, I was hundred seven. Sorry, not one hundred seventy. One hundred seven marathons under two hours thirty. And to think he used to work full time as for the government, and then for the last I think three years has just doing full time running. But he's just an incredible man, and he's 
you you go wow and that's he's been coming back for 10 years to come and race with us on the gold coast so we do have great japanese athletes but yeah i, yeah. I definitely hear you like it's not a, a major but that that staff declined over the covid period like they went down to about five staff that that worked there so masters games gave them a little bit of money to get some more people and this year's gold coast marathon was bigger so that'll allow them to hopefully hire a few more but that's a major event and they ran it so well for such a skeleton little staff. And yes, there were things that probably could be done better, um, but they will take it on board and they'll run it really well because it does matter to the small team. You spoke earlier about things where you talk about like um, course markings. We, we've got a few stories that we've had about course markings, especially on trail, trail races. Oh, trail runs. <laughs> what happened to the old arrow? Yeah, a lot of events don't use arrows anymore. You know what like, they oh, should do? They should they should go around with good. a step ladder and nail them up so then they know no one's ever going to nick it. But then do people look high enough, you know, to to see it? But also, um, I tell you one thing at the Gold Coast was the picking up the numbers because they didn't have a post option, and that would have been nice. To, I would have paid ten bucks to get my numbers number posted out to us, and especially if you could combine two together as well it was just that was um definitely something that and i actually was speaking to a woman uh there that would look like she was pretty much in charge and this is like really you know like people are going to be queuing here for hours then you're saying oh you get half an hour free parking downstairs lucky we parked about a kilometer away and just walked in it just made it easier well i think um, they stopped charging people parking <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> i think so but yeah, that was that was that, that. I think that was the only downside to the. I, I was glad to go to the exhibition and everything, and I'm glad I went. I got to meet um, uh, Mr. Um, Kayano as well. Yes. So um, I got my thing, thing just there. We signed. Got my photo taken with him. So, um, but uh, yeah, it, it that just really was a, just oh, just took forever. Yeah, and uh, it's one of those catch twenty two. So that's one of those athlete experience versus stakeholders stakeholders put on the expo how do you maximize people at the expo athlete experience you want your numbers you don't want to go to the expo where's your choice so that'll be something that yeah they'll be grappling with and trying to work out and the other big thing that really affected them um over those days was the delays in flights from melbourne um yeah it meant that everyone was landing late it was really really hard and everyone was on top of each other and the other really hard thing is people try not to take days off work. So the extra day on the Gold Coast means a day off work. So everyone's rocking down on the same day to come and pick up things. Having the half marathon on the Saturday meant that everyone was there on the Friday. So everyone hit bang mm-hmm. on Friday. Thursday, there was no lineups. Everyone's just hit at once. Um, when you've got the biggest ever field in the ASICS half marathon, it's going to oh, be some pain. Um, and then to have... Your marathon guys are also there as well on the on the Friday because they don't want to be walking around too much on the Saturday if they don't have to. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's a tough one. I know that that was something that they will definitely be looking at how they can minimise that, how they get on more people, how they look at d- different ways of getting the numbers out there. So um, I know that they were talking about that on the Friday. It mm. was yeah, they're a good crew. And I'd tell you, you want you probably wonder if people ever listen to you when you're when you're talking, but uh, I hope not. <laughs> but when at the start of the half marathon, I just saw Brett Robinson running up and down. I said, Oh, good luck, Brett. And he said, Oh, thanks, mate. And I heard you say, This is where you need to set your camera to time Slow-mo. lapse. 
Yep. So I did the time lapse and I got the start. And um, when I put it on my little video on Insta, you may have seen one of the 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 things of the story of the half marathon, um, or the marathon this weekend. And uh, Matilda was like, my partner was like, "Oh wow, how did you get that?" And it was literally it took. I was going for about seven, eight minutes and in, in um and it went down into like a few seconds, like 20 seconds, but it was just so so, so good. And people go, fuck, there was a lot of people in there. I said, no, I didn't even keep going for the full like eleven minutes or it whatever. went for 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. That was 20 minutes. Really? I haven't seen it go for 20 minutes. I've seen it go for about oh, I think 13. Um, but yeah, 20 minutes to get the first starter to the final starter and it was pretty much density right the way through like groups of five were still coming through um with 20 minutes to go there wasn't too many gaps so and then there was people after that that were just rocked up late and all got stuck <laughs> in the portaloo line so um how many oh, were yeah. that in the half uh, it was i think it was 10, over ten and a half thousand people uh yeah, condensed over the three out. three laps uh three three lanes so yeah, I did say times yeah, lapse. Right. Normally I say put it on slow-mo mode because if you have it on slow-mo at a start line, you see the elbows go out, you see someone trip, you see some stumbling, you see some oh, facials. Yeah. That like slow-mo on a start line is the best. Always go for that. But yeah, because we had so many people, it's like, yeah, time lapse today because that it's going to keep going advice. and it'll look unreal. So yeah, I'll, I'll have yeah. to check that out. That'll, that'll be a cool video. Yeah, go to mine. I got it there. I don't know if I did it in the full video of the whole weekend or I might have just done a separate one. But I'll make a separate. Uh, yeah. Throwback Thursday. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do a throwback. Yeah, and do it. But yeah, one, one of my things was I, I studied film, screen, and media for a year and a half in between my teaching career and what I do now. So um, oh, I, I love visuals. I love video content. Yeah. I love seeing people run. Um, I think that sticks with me more than reading results or anything. It's like I love to actually see people's physical form, how they're running, and and that was a feedback I got from Jared Gossens, the blind athlete, is that he he listened to some commentary of me at a track and field meet for the Down Under Games or somewhere, and he said, tell them how they look. They want to hear how they look. Tell them they look good. Tell them. So when I commentate with anything, you'll hear me talk about heels are nice and high, talking about their knee drive, talking about their length of the stride, talking about their cadence or how their posture looks or trying to find something that's good that I can then say, oh, wow, look how tall you're running today. Or wow, your stride is like three meters long. And just, you just see their body language change. Um, in particular, when you're at an ultra out on course or a looped course, you know what it's like when you're hurting and you want to lower that heart rate and you want them to have a great second part of their race or finish to their race. So you tell them how good they look tell them to relax through the shoulders and you just see the body language change and they actually speed up. Oh, wow. um, but they're more efficient yeah. instead yeah. of fighting it. And then you're just like, no, man, remember you love it. This is your day today. This is not training. Um, I think being out on course and being able to interact with athletes like that, that's something really special. I love, if there's any person running or a couple of people I love running is watching. Cause I grew up with the Steve Cram. Um, Sebastian Coe days. And if you watch Steve Cram and Seb Coe like in the Olympics, 800 and 1500 meters, watching those two battle against each other, 
um run is absolutely um i'll maybe i'll try and find one and post it um and tag you in it but it's just amazing to watch i used to love watching steve cram sprint down that that last time come around the corner and you know when you know they're starting to like you know for 800 meters you start to let let it unwind and then just go that last sort of 150 and then you're at full pelt down to the finish line it's just great to watch um, and i think the crazy part is we watch it on TV, but when you're at the Gold Coast Marathon and you're standing next, like you're stationary and you're watching Joe Fukuda from 2021 or whoever go through with the blue hair or Liam race by, when you're stationary and you see how fast those marathon runners are oh, running, yeah. that blows your mind because it's not a camera tracking. It's like far out. They're actually really, really fast and they're so little. Like they're, they're tiny yeah. little humans yeah, yeah. and they are flying. Like it's, it is like it's something sprinting. special. It's like sprinting. How fast they run. Like, I don't know why people don't say that about me when I go past but, them. No, we lob. <laughs> <laughs> but and that's a, that's a part. Like I'd have to say probably the, the best moment for me and the, the highlight and the most addictive part for me is that blue carpet at the Gold Coast Marathon five minutes before the first finisher. And we start, talking to the crowd like adam thornley um my my co and me we just bounce off each other and it's trying to warm the crowd up just like you would before a sitcom show is about to start and and then where's there you can see them on the big screen 300 meters to go they turn left into the shoot and oh the, the amphitheater yeah. just starts and the I cannot, I lost my voice for the first time ever at this year's Gold Coast Marathon because I was yelling that loud yeah. into the microphone. I, I couldn't hear myself. Like it just went. Um, and then Liam Adams coming in third with his time. It was just like, how good is this? But you've got three guys in the shoot hitting the blue carpet, like within 30 seconds of each other. And it's just, no one else is there. It's just this clean shot. And it's uh, something pretty special. And I know that the first one I watched was, Kenneth Mangara, who's the 40 plus year old barber from Kenya. And it wasn't even the running part of Kenya. It was the, the slums. Um, and he, he came down and Yuki Kawauchi was right behind him and they're sprinting on the carpet together for the, for the win. And that moment and every moment since has been something special. And I think that was better than the Com games finish because the Com games, Michael Shelley had no one near him. It wasn't the same sort of amphitheater, but that amphitheater we get at the gold coast is unreal. Yeah. It's, Truly something special. A race at the end of a marathon is awesome. Oh, they're right? sprinting yeah. and it's just. Because it's usually just like one person, number two, number three. But oh, they come in so quick. Like the um the women's finish at the London with uh, Hassan. Uh, I can't think of the other uh, other girls' names, but. um. Oh, no, sorry. I'm getting that confused. No, she did. She outkicked him. Yeah, they sprinted and kicked her. Yeah. Just outkicked because she was, yeah. she dropped back and then, yeah. I was thinking she sort of she took stopping her and stretching from a long way out, but she didn't. She sort of sprinted home towards the end. Another great finish at London was that Sarah Hall came in, I think, second or third, out kicked a Kenyan. Incredible. It's awesome to see finish of a marathon. Yeah, like no. That. And all our runners are going really well. Um internationally. We've seen the Australian records fall and just about all the distances. There, there's a massive confidence in Australia at the moment. And yeah, I don't remember it being like this since the 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 nineties and yeah. early two thousands when we had Benita sort of carving up. So it, it's very cool um to be part of. And it is the the ecosystem. We've got the kids coming through and they're all racing park runs together with the fast boys and they're all getting brought into these nice little groups from the Gold Coast all the way up to 
sort of Mackay. Well, Joel Lark, not this Saturday, but the Saturday before, uh, because I think everyone was doing Jetty to Jetty on uh, the next day. Uh, I was in, I came fifth, but I was the first adult. <laughs> they said, well done, you're the first adult. I was like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> 48, I'm, I'm going to take that. I think yeah. I got a top five at the old Sandgate as well, because everyone was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, cool. All right. Rightio. Let's wrap it up there. Thanks, Joel. Thanks we can talk forever. Up, Joel, that was awesome. Oh, Great thank chat. you. Yeah, thank you so much. I could talk for another six hours with you guys. It's um yeah, yeah. there's so many things that we, we haven't touched on. We we talked about the biggest race scandal in Queensland racing since Fine Cotton. What a what an amazing spectacle that was last Sunday. And um, yeah, look forward to seeing everyone on start line soon. We can do a part two in yeah. the future. Excellent. Have a good have a good week, everyone listening. And um, yeah, thanks awesome. you All right, we'll catch us later. Yeah. See ya. Imagine